From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. The best way to support the show is by booking a Disneyland, Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, or Adventures by Disney vacation with Dreams Unlimited Travel. Get a free no-obligation quote today for your next dream vacation at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 277 of Connecting with Walt. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my executive producer and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, it's so good to have you back. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So, so what's been going on since we last chatted? Uh, not that much really i mean you know obviously we're in the full holiday swing here at uh, at walt disney world and universal and all of the orlando theme parks so that's been preoccupying a lot of my time uh, i just i feel like i've been living at disney jollywood nights uh for better or for worse <laughs> and that's uh that's really it you know just been been immersing myself in all things holidays here. Unlike you that have been world traveling and doing all the interesting stuff. I know I had a, a, well, if you listen to, I guess it's the last dreams limited travel podcast, Mm -hmm. Tracy Heinrichs, um, what was it? Well, podcast or video Um, Tracy Heinrichs talked about the cruise that I was on and we went to, well, Originally, we were supposed to go to Egypt and Israel, but then world events um, stopped us from that. And we went on a wonderful cruise to the various Greek islands and roads, Mykonos, Santorini, roads, like I mentioned, Cyprus, Crete, um, and then a, a couple of ports in Turkey. There are a couple of sea days tossed in there as well. And then um, what, the one original port from the from the cruise, we went to Ephesus. So I got at least to go to, you know, a couple of holy sites. Yeah. Um, and it was wonderful. You know, it was had great time with great friends. Tracy, as uh, our Dreams Unlimited travel agent for most of us, did a fantastic job you know she pivoted a lot um we got a lot of perks being a, a group with dreams uh, from an umbrella in the room to canapes to dinners she, you know she can't promise to have that on every yeah. cruise but um it was wonderful the ship was terrific so and we already ha- our group already has like two more trips planned together oh, I, I bet so, knowing um, the people you're going. on there with so yeah, it seems like you yeah. always have something up your sleeve oh yeah yeah and tracy talked about it we have a Norwegian fjords cruise and we have one that we're planning to southeast asia oh and Alicia, she talked about it yeah from hong kong to singapore oh, in that's cool. um yeah in 2025 and we have another one even in the planning stages too 
that we've been talking about. That was actually my idea. I wanted to do a a cruise on the Danube to the uh, Christmas markets. Uh, nice. So we're nice. in sort of the initial discussions about that. Yeah, that's uh, so, my parents did yeah. the Danube last year and uh-huh. and loved it. So uh, I, I I never met anyone who has done one of the uh, one of the river cruises that hasn't just loved it. So uh, I'm I'm jealous of all your vacations. Oh, so thank you. I, yeah, I'm very fortunate. I can do that. I get and, to go and to doing Disneyland. it all. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm, and I'm doing that this weekend, going to Disneyland for my uh, my annual trip, December 1st through 4th. And, you know, I might fight the crowds as usual and watch Candlelight, yeah. the Candlelight Processional. It hasn't leaked yet as of our recording who the uh, who the guest speaker will be. Yeah. Usually leaks when they do dress rehearsal. <laughs> and then Disney makes their inf- official announcement. I'm just trying to think of like who's in the zeitgeist right now to kind of step up and do it in uh, in the Disney know. realm, but uh, I can't. I can't even think of anyone right now. So it'll probably just be a random you never person. Know. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, you never know. So, but they're always fantastic. Candlelight is always. It's so magical seeing it on Town Square. Yeah, I, Disneyland. I will it's, see it one day. One day. Yeah. Oh, you have to. Disneyland at Christmas is gorgeous. So if anybody's there December 1st through the 4th, um, yeah, let let me know. I'll, <laughs> I'll see you there. And, you know, we, we of course, we, we heard about the new addition to It's a Small World <laughs> briefly. Uh, yeah. There's a, uh, there was a small moon there, right? Yeah. Golden sun. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I've heard all the puns. About it, I, yeah. There's nothing more original with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, but but October sixteenth, twenty twenty three, marked the hundredth anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. So, Craig, what did you do to celebrate this milestone? I believe the night before, I sat down and watched uh, Once Upon a Studio. With hopefully mm-hmm. a, a lot of the world who still has cable and was able to watch uh, Encanto that night. It's a debut on on ABC, but I have a feeling I was in a small group because as it was happening live, I was like, no one is talking about this on social media. And then realized like, oh, I bet everyone will start talking about it once it's released overnight on on Disney Plus and Hulu. And, and sure enough. Uh, people caught up to it, but yeah, I the night before on uh, Disney 100 Eve, I watched Once Upon a Studio, and then uh, on Disney 100 Day, I spent a lot of the day looking through photos of uh, my my times at Disney uh, as far back as I could go, and thinking about all those good memories. And you know that that's big, basically how I celebrated. I, I wish I would have watched a movie or a TV special, something with it. But I, I just I kept looking back at all photos. I'm like, it just no, reliving those nice. moments, which is also yeah, it's, it's really nice. nice. How'd, how'd you celebrate? Um, flying to Greece, <laughs> flying to Athens. <laughs> um, I did watch the Moon Spinners. Yeah, oh, you know, wow. I, I downloaded it on my um, iPad. Walt would so have been proud that. of you. So, thank you, World Traveler. Thank you. And then I, and then there was a um, on. I downloaded it from 
the from National Geographic on Disney Plus, they had a three part series on Greece. Oh, so I also watched that as well. It's a long flight <laughs> from Sacramento, yeah. California to um, Athens. So, I um, can imagine all direct. <laughs> Wow. Um, no, I went to Atlanta. Oh, okay. And then, a little then hopped over, yeah. so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, so. not at all. Yeah. But with the holiday season upon us, folks may be taking some time off from work to spend some time relaxing. And one way to relax is to celebrate the 100th anniversary by watching Disney films. So Craig and I are sharing our lists of what we consider to be some of the most important Disney films and shorts in the last 100 years of the company. Craig and I have each have a list of five animated feature films, five live action films, and five cartoon shorts to recommend. And knowing Craig, I'm sure he has more than that. <laughs> Based on um, la- other times we have made our movie lists. So I think we're going to start out with Disney cartoon shorts and I'm going to start because it's the one that's probably on both of our lists, because this is the short that started it all. You're shaking your head, so it's not on yours. I tried to choose nothing that you would choose. so That's what I figured. Yeah. And I'm, I am really predictable. So I, I had to put Steamboat Willie from 1928, because this is the first Mickey Mouse cartoon short to be released. It's considered to be one of the most famous and groundbreaking cartoon shorts in animation history. This is what launched the Walt Disney Company that we know today. You are wearing a hat, Craig, with mm-hmm. Steamboat Willie um, on it. And I'm not sure what your shirt is. It looks like the Universal Monsters. Disney podcast. And um but you know it's i i i tried to avoid the obvious in some respects but i i just couldn't get away from steamboat willie of course it's also the debut of minnie mouse as well and here in peg leg pete and you know you 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 know for for 100 years of disney you you can't ignore steamboat yeah. willie and its place in history yeah and i mean it was the first place my mind went with it when I was going through the shorts and I, I mean, I knew that you were going to choose it uh, because it is just that important. And then I also like wanted to stop and think about the list and like, okay, we need to have some fan favorites in here. I mean, it is, it's supposed to be our favorites and the ones that we would recommend, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, everyone's seen steamboat Willie, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go back and watch it again and again and again because it just it, it holds up and it's entertaining every mm-hmm. single time. I mean, and there's always new things to find to enjoy in all of these shorts, especially if you listen to when we talk about how these were made and you know what went into them. Um, you know, the struggles that the studio had with all of their films and all that, it makes you appreciate them even more when you go back and, you know, watch them again. Yeah. And I mean, for, for my perspective on it too, I think a lot of people should go back and watch it, but 
to actually listen to it and listen to the sound design in it because you know that of course it's it, it didn't just launch Mickey Mouse I mean it it launched sound for for Disney and cartoons and just is so well put together and like I it blows my mind thinking back like this was all accomplished in the twenties. Like it it just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing to see the progress then that that continued forward, especially once you start getting to silly symphonies and see how they kept taking it up another notch. Like none, nothing would have been possible without steamboat Willie in my perspective. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's that important. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. So, what do you have on your list? What's one on your list, Craig? Well, that was, I, I threw in a little teaser there when I mentioned Silly Symphonies, because uh, the huh. way I broke down my short list, I tried, to, uh, I, I tried to break it into categories and then also by eras. Um, you know, I, I've got to make everything way more complicated than it needs to ever be. And <laughs> Silly Symphonies, I, I only wanted to pick one. And so that was a nearly impossible task because there are so many good ones. Uh, like, I, if people know me, I think they probably would jump immediately to Skeleton Dance, but wasn't going to choose that one. I had to go for the easy win for myself because um, if you know me too, you know, I don't just love Halloween. I love Christmas. And I chose The Night Before Christmas as my first mm-hmm. pick, which is especially great this holiday season. It would be even better if they would add this to Disney plus. So I apologize for that. It's not on there, but I, it's still something you need to seek out. Santa's workshop is on Disney plus. So you can see at least the first half of the story when all the toys are being made. But then of course, in the second half of the sequel that came out in 1933, uh, the night before Christmas, it, Santa Claus was out delivering toys and we see his stop at the one family that he's delivering to and how the toys come to life, you know, make their way out of Santa's sack and then start assembling this Christmas that has always been like, it's been my dream Christmas in a way. I, I'm going to sound weird here, but like I have a couple like images when I close my eyes and think of Christmas. This is one of them, even though I've never lived through a Christmas in the 30s and should have no context for it. And then another one is from uh, a Christmas story when when uh, mom and dad are sitting down at the end of the night and watching the snow outside with the Christmas tree mm-hmm. all lit up. Like that's my other like. That's just my thought. But this, uh, you know, this is not the most groundbreaking Silly Symphony short at all. But I just think it is it is chock full of gags that showcase how uh, how clever these artists were. I mean, a lot of a lot of repeated, but it's got so many funny moments. Uh, It's got heart with the kids. It's got magic. It's got some parts of it that are definitely uh, not appropriate in this generation anymore. Um, but I, I still think it's, uh, if you're trying to get in the holiday spirit, it, it, you have to watch this. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. You know, it's funny. I almost put on, I almost included in my list one of the Christmas silly symphonies. Cause we, when we were doing, when we talked about silly symphonies, we did talk about the making of those. Yeah. And cause I thought, 
because it was so unique for Walt. He didn't want to do something that could only be shown for a, a limited period of time every year. Yeah. And, and, and actually then they weren't re-releasing. So for him, it was only going to be for a short period of time, but he loved Christmas so much and loved that he did these shorts. So I thought they are significant, yeah. you know, in their history for the time. So, and I do love them. I know it's funny. I think of that short when I watch A Nightmare Before Christmas and Jack goes and visits Christmas Town. Yeah. And, um, and he sees the little elves making the toys yeah. and all that. And I don't know why then it, I think of the short. Uh, I, so, um, I, I get it. Time. I get it. It all connects together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just, it's, it, the joke's on Walt because I watch the Christmas shorts year round. So, you know, he would be very happy about that. (laughs) I'll let him know one day. But uh, what's next for you, Michael? Mine is a silly symphony, too. And it this one that was a cultural phenomenon. And it really showed Walt and his uh, and his staff the impact of music and song that 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 uh, uh, that it could have not only in a film, but on the world. And this is The Three Little Pigs from 1933. We were in the middle of the Great Depression, one of the worst times, most times where the world struggled with people out of work and not knowing where they were going to get, in many cases, you know, their next meal and struggling for jobs and things like that. Uh, people were, were living in, you know, Hoover towns, as they call them, which would be, you know, homeless encampments, we might call them today. Um, and then this comes out. People still went to the theaters to see this. And uh, this just has such an impact on people because it was upbeat. It was positive. And they saw this as sort of a reflection of what they were going through. The big bad wolf was was the depression, and the pigs overcame the depression, especially with their song, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? And that became the, the song of the depression and got people through it. They thought, we we can get over this. You know, and, and as the president, Franklin L., um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt said, Dylan, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, you know, nothing to fear but fear itself. And this song epitomized that. And it really, this little three little pig short rallied the country and the world. It played for months and months and months in theaters, even to the point where some theaters on the marquee, they started adding beards to the, uh, to the pigs. Um, on the marquees to, and, and lengthen them to show how long that short was playing there because it was so popular. Yeah. And, you know, it is, it's a catchy tune. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, you, you watch it and you're humming that song. Oh, and it's great. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And what I love about it is, you know, like with all the silly symphonies, it is so inherently Disney, but at the same time, like I, I feel like when I first started seeing the Three Little Pigs, I didn't have a connection to it as Disney. I mean, obviously it was, and I was seeing it on the Disney Channel, but it's it, the Three Little Pigs in that way stood out on their own outside of 
of Mickey Mouse or any of the other characters. And, you know, they're, they're iconic in their own right. And I think it has to deal with the fact that they are, they have such a distinct and memorable style. The big, big bad wolf is such a good villain. And the song is just remarkable. I mean, it it should be on every Disney's greatest hit CD <laughs> that they mm-hmm. ever put out any album on there. So uh, it just, it had everything going for it and it just became, it became bigger than, than itself in a way it became bigger than Disney. And you, you can see why when you watch it. And, but at the same time, it still has that heart of Disney running through it. Mm-hmm. And it holds up even today. The animation holds up, the the lyrics hold up. I mean, everything holds up with it. Well, I have to admit, though, one of the one of my funnest funnest little things of this that probably you don't a lot of people don't notice is in the home of the house of the the pig who built the bricks. There's a little picture on the wall and it says "Father," and it's it's a, a link of Frankfurters. Oh, oh my gosh. Think, I think it is so hilarious <laughs> and so dark. It is in very the dark. <laughs> oh my gosh. So. That's that's fantastic. So good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so what do you have for us uh, next, Craig? Well, I'm moving to my Mickey Mouse choice now, but it, it's not really fair because I feel like this is uh, it, it's an outing with all of the gang, even though Mickey's face is on that. And this is from 1937. It's Hawaiian holiday. And uh, for me, it, I feel like this is one of those, one of those cartoons that just etched out how I live my life. Uh, I have a fascination with tiki culture and, and Pacific islands and Hawaii. And I feel like this is one of the biggest reasons why, because I can remember coming to Walt Disney world on vacations. And this short was always playing in their, their little loop. I mean, it was always on Disney channel too. And it just set up this, expectation and and perception of everything hawaiian and uh it that i've you know i ever knew at that point in time and now i know a lot more about hawaii and yeah it's uh definitely a different place than this sets up to be but uh you know it's kind of like a it's, it's like a utopian hawaiian adventure and it's just got it all it's got it's got great music um they got so many gags i mean goofy surfing is just like it's a mile a minute laughs, and that's I the feel, scene I always think of. Oh, it wouldn't yeah. and, and Minnie like, doing the hula dance, yep, yep. And <laughs> the way Mickey's playing the ukulele, where he's like literally like pulling the strings with his his magical fingers in a way, Donald <laughs> fighting with a starfish. Attaching it to his butt because it's Disney, so you got to get on butt jokes and catching his tail on fire and Pluto uh, <laughs> fighting with the the crab. Like it's just it's got nonstop gags in there, and I feel like the characters are also iconic. I mean, they made uh, there's a company Super Seven that makes action figures, and they made action figures for uh all for mickey and and all the gang in their uh, hawaiian holiday outfits because that's that's just 
how important they are. And I, I, I just love this short so much. Like mm-hmm. to me, it's in a way, it's also like the spiritual uh, predecessor to all the goofy, uh, the classic goofy shorts with him learning how to ski and all, all the different ones he did like that. It's he, he failed big surfing in this one, uh, but you know, goofy <laughs> had a life full of failures. This one's just one of the best. <laughs> Yeah, but he never gave up. You have to give that to him. That's why so many of us see ourselves in Goofy because he just doesn't yeah. quit. He's that's right. He keeps going. He probably should, but he goes. <laughs> uh, I I always watch that that shirt before I, I head out to Alani. But you know, and what's what I like about it is it captured in that era of Hawaii that we all imagine Hawaii really looks like the palm trees on the beach and the waves and, and the the Hawaiian dancers and all that. I think to the point that even, uh, you know, even in Alani, when they were designing it, they brought in palm trees to plant on the beach and all that. So I think it just captured what we imagined that, it looked like at the time yeah and i and i'd argue if you actually look at a lot of the background design in it uh mm-hmm. it feels like you could be also seeing the background design of lilo and stitch so even mm-hmm. 60 years later they were still taking inspiration from this cartoon when they're making a brand new uh feature length movie about hawaii and, and bringing in those aspects to it so uh you know that that idea just hasn't gone away. Even if it's not the Hawaii you're going to see when you go there, you know, go to Waikiki. You're not going to see anything like this. No, um, you're just going to see a big city. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even Alani is, uh, to an extent, is not like this, but it's, it's what we all imagine. It's, it's just that perfect, it's that perfect version that we all want Hawaii to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Well, next on my list is one that, is noteworthy it's it's groundbreaking also and it's it's become associated with halloween because i think it's always been included in a lot of compilations you know the of of disney halloween specials and all that. but i like to watch it year-round because i i think it, it's beautiful storytelling and it's beautiful imagery all carried out without one word spoken in this and this is 1937's the old mill and this is, of course, it's noteworthy because it's the first time the multiplane camera was used, which then would go on to be used most famously probably in Pinocchio mm-hmm. in, in some of those scenes that we talked about when we talked about the making of that film. But the multiplane camera allowed the animators to create more intricate and realistic background animation. But this is such a beautiful film. The way it just unfolds and tells the the story of these animals that live in and around the mill as their lives sort of unfold. And then this big storm moves in and how it's a harrowing storm and and is threatening to the lives of those animals. And you see how they, they get through the storm and it's all visually it is stunning and and how the story is told through the the action of the animals and the wind the wind is character Mm -hmm. wind and the rains are characters in this and this is the film if you go to the walt disney family museum you you encounter walt 
explaining the multi-plane camera using this film. So that is uh, special as well. So this is always one of my favorites of the Disney cartoon shorts. Yep, I'm one of those people that associates it with Halloween because uh, mm-hmm. for me growing up, we had uh, recorded off of you know wh- whatever year they would have re-aired it, but the Disney's Halloween, uh, Disney yeah. Halloween treat, that was, it was a staple of it. So I, I thought it was Halloween <laughs> Silly <laughs> Symphony uh, for the longest time, not knowing that, no, it's just a, a beautiful piece and uh, that's what it is. And I like to think of it as kind of the, uh, the gateway into Fantasia because so many people will look at Sorcerer's Apprentice and say, oh, you know, that's that's your start to get into the the mode of Fantasia. But I don't think it does just because of Mickey Mouse's prominence in it. And it, the rest of Fantasia to me doesn't quite fit in the same way as, as Sorcerer's Apprentice. But Old Mill, like you could literally drop it right in. And it would it would completely fit in with mm-hmm. that movie. And so it's like if you're if you're one of those people who struggled with it, like, you know, start start with the old mill. See, see how to appreciate so many of the elements in there and then take that leap into uh, into the, the longer story that's told through Fantasia. But it's just, you know, like I'm going to repeat over and over again, there's so many fun little gags. And it, um, you know, I'm always thinking that the owls are going to get crushed or the birds are going to get crushed. Then the little bird made its nest yeah, there in the gear wheel. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, no, I, I, it's just I will watch it every Halloween season. I watched it this past yeah. Halloween season. I just I can't. Not. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, but uh, it's like a musical. It's a visual musical poem. This mm-hmm. this short. I, I, that's why I love it. So, okay. Well, I'm going to stick actually in the Halloween realm and I'm making a Donald Duck choice. And, well, this, I'm not throwing out honorable mentions, but this, uh, this was a tough one because I really wanted to include uh, a short that was important to me, uh, Donald Snow Fight, uh, where he has the snowball fight battle with his nephews. Um, Just, Again, one of my favorites to watch during the Christmas time period, but uh, Trick or Treat from 1956 yes. is just a stone cold classic when it comes to uh, when it comes to any Disney short. I mean, just right out the gate with it, the way it starts uh, completely different with um, with Donald's face being painted on the fence rather than your standard uh, your standard card, and you know. The nephews, the look that they have Huey, Dewey, and Louie in this is iconic. How they get revenge on Donald Duck <laughs> is just perfect the entire way. And uh, and uh, Witch Hazel is just such a good adversary. The song is you know similar to me, like with uh, the Three Little Pigs, who's afraid of the big bad wolf. Uh, Trick or treat is an iconic song too. Like it, you don't hear people adding it to their Halloween set lists, but they absolutely should be doing it. And uh, it's just, it's so funny. And there is, there's a lot of great Halloween Disney shorts. In my opinion, there is not a single one that epitomizes 
Halloween more than this one. It's just, I agree. It, with it's you. Halloween. It's what we think but, of as American Halloween, at least. Yeah. And the lighting that they use in this, the lighting effects mm-hmm. and the shading and coloring, it captures that Halloween mood so perfectly. Yeah. 20 and, years earlier, this, it could not have been made the way it was. Like it just, they, they hit when they decided to make this short. It, they almost captured lightning in a bottle in that that time period uh, with the effects they could do with it. The just everything, the style of the animation, the 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 song, it just it all hit at that time. And that song is one that after you watch the short, you're humming it. You're saying you're singing it to yourself. I yeah, trick or treat, trick or treat for Halloween. It's um I I I watch that every Halloween. It's a must to watch. Okay, now. Witch Hazel. Do you prefer the Witch Hazel, the Disney Witch Hazel, or the Looney Tunes Witch Hazel with Bugs Bunny? Uh, both good. Just because, <laughs> I mean, this is in my top five. So I, I have to say, I have to say this one, but no, I, man, I also, I grew up on Looney Tunes as well. So they're so just as I. important to me as Disney is, but I feel like this one, this slightly, this slightly edges Looney Tunes out because I don't I don't know if she would be involved if I was making a top five list of Looney Tunes shorts. So I'll, so, I'll play these. I lo- I I love the Witch Hazel with Bugs Bunny. Oh my gosh! See, because I grew up, Disney wasn't showing the shorts really in the theaters as much, and Looney Tunes still were being played. So I saw a lot of them on the big screen. And, um, oh, I loved Witch Hazel with bugs. Especially when she would have that cackle and yeah. she would run and the hairpins would fly out of her hair. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> maybe by voice, she's more iconic. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. She has that. a great voice. And look, yeah. too. Yeah. Look, too. Okay. But overall, Witch Hazel in this in this short, I feel like she has a, you know, she has an, a great arc the entire way through. So. She does. She does. She's a very good arc. And she, she's a witch with a heart of gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My next one is a Donald Duck one as well. But this one, this one is from the War Years. This is one that this could only have been made in this tiny period of time. But because it reflects the political climate of the era. And it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short. It's probably when you think of the World War II propaganda films, this is the one you think of. And that is De Fuhrer's Face from 1943. This, it had a song that um, went, it it became very popular. And it, uh, I think Spike Jones um, even recorded it. And I was a big fan of Spike Jones growing up, and uh, and then um, this 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 just epitomized the war era for the United States, World War Two, and um, and and Donald Duck. Of course, Donald Duck is sleeping. He wakes up and he believes he is in Nazi Germany, and he's being worked and worked and worked and worked you know, to death. And then he wakes up and realizes it's all just been a horrible dream. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's this one you have to track down a bit. 
but it, it's but it's um you know it's in the Walt Disney Treasures series, yeah. the World War II series that they did. And um but it's worth looking at. It's worth for for historic reasons. I feel it, it's it's worth seeking out yeah. and taking a look at. So. I, I completely agree. I so with Donald, I was looking at the World War II shorts. Uh, I, you know, I know they used more than just Donald, and you know, mm-hmm. you could have pulled uh, even the original characters. Why can't I? I can't think of the name of the plane. Um, it, it'll come to me later. But um, there, there's a lot to choose from with World War II shorts, and I feel like I'm, even though I have no memory of it right now, I uh, I feel like I'm still fresh off of when I was in New Orleans and got to go through the Walt Disney Family Museum uh, uh, World War II exhibit that they mm-hmm. had at the World War II Museum as a, a loner, um, a loner uh, exhibit. And like, I, I spent so much time in there. It's, it, it was it's really a great amazing. exhibit. Yeah. I closed the entire place down. Cause I was, I watched every single video that I could. Um, I, I have them all on the, the treasure set, but I, being in there and having the context uh, right next to it, being able to read about it and what its purpose was like, it's just in that kind of environment. It it just reinvigorated my 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 passion for for that point in time in history with the Walt Disney Company. So yeah, yeah. I I couldn't I couldn't just choose one from that era. So I inevitably chose nothing, but in terms of historical context, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a top five. It's not easy to watch. And you know, they still, it's still very much a Disney cartoon and you Mm -hmm. can still see a lot of the, uh, you, you still see a lot of that Disney humor and imagination in it, but just with a tough subject. Yeah. Cause it brings in some of the horrors of the war as well. And, um, you know, but also, you know, I wanted to bring this in too, because like you were saying, Craig, the Disney studio had a significant role to play in uh, world war two and how, you know, not only in fighting it, but even at home, yeah. how, how we lived and dealt with, um, with the war yeah, on the home front. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like people who are listening to Connecting with Walt and other history podcasts understand that. But uh, I don't think that's reached larger, uh, you know, mm-hmm. more more broad Disney fans. And it's mm-hmm. it's important to remember this stuff. It's important to know about the history of our country or, you know, even if you're just if you're not. There's a lot of people that listen to Connecting with Walt internationally. It might be stuff that they don't recognize either. But luckily, we've done lots of great episodes on World War II in Disney. So uh, we give you a lot lot of meat to chew on with with (laughs) that subject. And uh, go back and listen to those episodes, too. Never a bad time. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But um, I'm now going through my character list. I... It's tough. I had to. I had to skip Humphrey in this, which I didn't oh, want Humphrey to. Humphrey the bear. I know. I, I didn't want him. to, but mm-hmm. I, I had to. Um, and skipping Pluto and Goofy. I feel like I hit them both in Hawaiian Holiday. Mm-hmm. Chip and Dale did not make an appearance yet, so I'm going with uh, two chips and a miss. Which uh, <laughs> this also is Chip 
Dale and Clarice. And you don't see Clarice very often. No, she's in our Christmas parade this year. Believe it or not, I heard you guys talk about that. So wild, but um, I love this short. So my uh, my exposure to this was again growing up. At some point in time, my parents taped uh, the um, Adventures of Chip and Dale which I think was originally a Walt Disney presents where it just kind of smashed a lot of their, uh, their shorts together and then had a special segment where they sang, I'm chip, I'm Dale. And I'm, that's as far as I'm singing with it tonight. I'm not warmed up enough, but uh, some, you know, segments of like chip and Dale dancing in a live action setting. It's, it was incredible. I watched it all of the time. And while I have a lot of memories from different segments in there, uh, Donald Duck in the Apple core um, is <laughs> also a great one, but two chips and a miss. is just, it, it answers the question, what would happen if Chip and Dale had a tree that was just right outside of a massive city and uh, just permeated their entire life. And uh, they both are, you know, they're both trying anxiously to sneak out of their tree to make it to this nightclub to uh, to see Clarice, who they both have an infatuation with, and then also spend the entire episode fighting over. And I, it's for me, this will always be the best Chippendale short. And uh, it's you know it. In the greater scheme of things, it's so unlike all of their other shorts, especially that take place out in nature and uh, kind of in that setting. It's just it's so wildly different. But I think that's what I like about it is that it is so unique. And, you know, ultimately, they both uh, they both walk away happy with this one. And we Mm -hmm. just need to see more Clarice. Don't don't hide her in Disneyland Paris all the time and <laughs> don't hire her just for Christmas in a parade show her all the time. Apparently. Yep. Yep. I agree with you. Yeah. I know Christmas is coming upon us and they're in one of my favorite, you know, mm-hmm. Disney shorts with Mickey and Pluto and the Christmas tree. And they inadvertently chop down Chip and Dale's tree yeah. and bring it into the house. I love that short. Oh, I so. I will always say Disney is missing out on a gold mine. They should be selling every single year the yeah. candles of the little Santa, and then have one of mm-hmm. them, you know, be the be the chipmunks too when he tries to take yeah. it off. It makes no sense when you watch it. But I'm like, why aren't they selling this? <laughs> I know. I agree with you. I agree. Well, my last one on my list is actually a little more modern one. It's from 2012. This, again, was another brown gr- groundbreaking one, and that's Paper Man. Mm-hmm. Because this blended hand-drawn and computer-generated animation. And I was very um, skeptical when I first heard about this. And then I saw it, and I just thought it was wonderful. And thought, oh, this is this is the future. This is... Um, where we're going with it. And of course we went now with total computer generated animation pretty much, but it won the Academy award for best animated short film. And it, it really ushered in, helped usher in a new era of animation. Yeah. So, and uh, I love the uh, score for it done by uh, Christoph Beck. It's just, mm-hmm. I mean, the visuals in this short are incredible and the music is great. I only, I wish I would have been able to see it on a big screen. So I, it, it I, cause I, if I remember correctly, it was, 
2012, I think that would have been Wreck-It yeah. Ralph that it came out with. And um, that was during a time that I didn't have money to go to the theater. So uh, I I didn't get to see this on a big screen. But as soon as I got uh, Wreck-It Ralph on, on Blu-ray, I was able to watch it and uh, just just appreciate it for all it's worth. I think I'm, I might not even have watched it on the Blu-ray. I might have just watched a version uploaded to YouTube. So, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's great. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Um, I also went modern with mine, but uh, I, I went very modern and I actually took another Mickey Mouse short with this. And if you're hearing me say modern and Mickey, I know you want to you want to hurt me right now, Michael. But I, I did choose one <laughs> of the new Mickey Mouse shorts, but probably mm-hmm. the one that we can agree on as being the best. And that's uh, Mickey Mouse in Nature's Wonderland. And yes, it's I, that was the one I was thinking yeah. of if that I enjoy. Okay. <laughs> I just I knew your disdain for this version of Mickey so much. And I'm like, I think I'm safe going here. But uh, honestly, it's, um, you know, I feel like the hard part is this is probably the absolute best of these new Mickey Mouse cartoons. Uh, some of the the uh 22 minute tv specials they did with it that you can find on disney plus are definitely worth watching halloween and the winter time and springtime one they're they're really good um i, I definitely check them out but for the shorts mm-hmm. uh it, it's just uh it, this is like the absolute best and it pays complete tribute to not only uh frontierland the big thunder mountain area but also uh mine train through yes. nature's wonderland and uh, it is you know it's very crude in a way just like all of the uh, the new mickey shorts are but like my favorite part of it that i stop and pause on when i watch it so i can see it up big but um they they have a map of nature's wonderland up and a nice little nod to uh walt where it says welcome this magical kingdom is yours and the map's not for navigation but it it mentions all the big highlights the living desert uh, the olympic elk beaver valley Mm -hmm. uh pack mule trail bear country rivers of america of course rainbow caverns and it's such a cool little easter egg and uh you you just like you get the entire sense of Frontierland in this short, especially as Mickey is trying, trying to get there. You get the explosions of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, but then it all ends well as they make it into Rainbow Caverns with the with the music that just mm-hmm. is so, so good. Um, it's it, again, if you never want to watch any of these shorts, that's fine. Watch this one. It is. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. And I guess we do have to have one from the modern era. I, I of, took care of, of it. You didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that takes care of all of our shorts that we recommend, correct? I think we're done with those. Yep. Okay. Terrific. Then we were going to go in and talk about live action films. Next are our five mm-hmm. live action films. So for me, again, this is probably an obvious one. But um, this one was successful live action and had some animation in it. But this helped, uh, this one was so successful, it helped finance future theme park attractions. And that is 1964's Mary Poppins. 
So not only is this absolutely a delightful, delightful film, wonderful story, the musical numbers just work into the storytelling of the film so wonderfully. They're, they're delightfully choreographed. The animation that accompanies it in a Jolly Holiday scene is perfect. Um, this, this film is practically perfect in every way. <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember seeing this when I was little. I was coming off of being very ill. Um, and uh, this, when I was out of the hospital and the doctor's care and all that, this was the first thing I got to see. I, Mary Poppins was playing in the local theater. And um, my my folks actually, my brother was still in the hospital. So my folks took me to uh, have babysitters take me to see Mary Poppins. So that was like my first venture into the outside world. I'd, I'd had, there was a, a, a meningitis sort of pandemic that had was going around and I, my brother and I both got it. And so, um, so I remember Mary Poppins is just a very joyful thing for me because I was back into the world again. Yeah. So, um, but I love this film. Absolutely yep. love it. I mean, it's, if there's one Disney live action film that everyone has to see and one that is the definition of the Walt Disney company, it is Mary Poppins. I mean, the same way Steamboat Willie is, is the, that for animated shorts, uh, for, for the feature length live action movies, it, it it's Mary Poppins that it will always mm-hmm. define the company's creativity, uh, the progress, the the heart, the spirit. It it's just it's all there, and you know it. I, for me, it's as great as the the actors are in the movie. Um, is as great as the entire story is, and how whimsical it is. For me, it, it's the songs that always keep me mm-hmm. coming back. Even you know, even Sister Suffragette. Like I'll even I'll even put that on just for fun. Um, like all the all the minor songs that everyone forgets because they just go to supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Sorry for butchering that. I'm tired here in our time <laughs> and and feed the birds and all the classics. It's just every bit of music and it is so great. And uh, and you know I I wasn't going to mention an honorable mentions because you told me not to do that, <laughs> but um, I I really wanted. For the animated short section, I was on the fence because Once Upon a Studio is technically listed uh-huh. as an animated short, uh, even though it's a blend of live action and animation. And I mean, the everyone talks about it with it. When you see that picture of Walt and Feed the Bird comes on and mickey's just standing there like how can that not devastate you as a disney fan i know i'm not gonna bring that up again (laughs) i was i was gonna put it on my list and thought oh if craig's gonna put it on his list it's my it's just because it falls into that gray area of is it Mm. live action is it animated i'm not quite sure which one so i left it off i knew we'd be able to I'd be able to tie it in somehow. So uh, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. But, but yeah, if you have not watched this short, definitely want to watch it. Yeah. And so watch Mary Poppins. But, uh, and, and of course, yeah, Mary Poppins, it became help finance Imagineering. And there was a division called Mapo that, and, um, and even uh, in some of the control boards of some of the attractions, it said Mapo right on it. 
and all that. So, um, so that's, that's my first one. Yeah. And, and, and I like the sequel to it as well. I have to admit. Yeah, no, it, it's growing on me. I'll, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, obviously, being a father has changed me in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I didn't love the sequel when it came out. You know, I thought Emily Blunt was great, and mm-hmm. there's a lot to love about that movie. But <laughs> it was a couple months back after not sleeping a night where I I had it on at the end of the movie, and when you know they're doing nowhere to go but up, and just that song it's so joyful but so emotional i'm just like sitting on the couch weeping for no reason i'm like i just need to sleep uh but no i i do i'm appreciating it more and more i think as time goes on mary poppins returns will be considered not not on the same level as mary poppins but it will be considered a true disney classic um yeah much like the first of my live action list, I believe should be. Uh, I'm bouncing around mine. I had an order I wanted to go, but you started off strong with Mary Poppins, which I had on my list, but I had a, I could scratch it off if I needed to, and I'm doing that. Um, first for mine is Saving Mr. Banks, which, of course, tells a, I'll just say fictionalized story of. You're right. It is um, fictionalized. How, but it's it. <laughs> it wouldn't be the movie it is if it wasn't fictionalized. I mean, that's, that's just it. It's the, the story of Walt Disney wooing PL Travers into, to making Mary Poppins tricking Mary trick, tricking PL Travers into letting them make (laughs) Mary Poppins. And, um, you know, it's obviously they take, they take the recordings from in the room as, as material to build upon the story. They add extra emotion in there with, you know, Paul Giamatti is Ralph, the driver and just Tom Hanks. Every time he steps on the screen, you can't help, but just <laughs> gush. I mean, he's, he's one of the closest people that we'll have to Walt Disney. God forbid anything bad ever comes out about Tom Hanks. I don't know if America will be able to take it, but, um, I, I just I love this movie so much. It's it is so fictionalized, but uh, the performances in it are fantastic. The Disneyland portion in it is so good. Uh, there's just if you're a fan of Mary Poppins, you can't help but have moments in this movie where you're just like you just feel like good because you believe for a second. Yeah, this is what happened. This is how it all came together, even though it's not at it all. Didn't. And <laughs> it did not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. There's like almost the only thing they got right in this were the names. Yeah, but And that's fine. And, and, and the chauffeur did not exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it, it shows a specific time period in Hollywood, the studios that I feel like it does a good job setting the scene. The score by Thomas Newman is just mm-hmm. out of control. It is. It is so beautiful so it's you know for historical historical accuracy we'll give it we'll give it a five percent but as a piece of oh, that's being generous craig you know <laughs> they, they got the clothes right um oh, okay. Walt's office is pretty close uh they yeah. definitely filmed on the studios <laughs> so mm-hmm. that, okay that, there's there's some accuracy to it yeah okay, okay. <laughs> no story is not accurate but you know what despite that i do like this yeah. film and i do watch it every year it's because it is it's just a nice cheerful uplifting film yeah so yeah. i do i do enjoy and it 
I also, uh, the director of it was John Lee Hancock. He also tackled another story kind of like this, um, uh, later on with, um, uh, the founder with Ray Kroc and McDonald's with Michael mm-hmm. Keaton. And I, it's, I, I also recommend that not in the Disney realm, but, uh, you know what? We all bought French fries at one point in time at Walt Disney <laughs> World, I think. So. Check that out too. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We had that McDonald's French fry wagon yeah. <laughs> in Frontierland at Disneyland. <laughs> All right. Well, my speaking of Disneyland, my film is one of the rare successful films based on a theme park attraction that opened first at Disneyland, but is now I think it's just about every I think it's in every Disney theme park around the world. That is Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black. Pearl. Haven't heard of it. 2003. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I I think this is a fun film. Uh, it, they 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 you know they they captured the essence of the attraction and then added on to it. Um, you know, it then they felt compelled that they had to shove it into the attraction. That I'm not maybe not <laughs> as much of a fan of, but I thought. This is just a fun film. It's 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 like one of those old fashioned films, sort of. I don't not quite a swashbuckler film, but yes, yeah, sort of is. Yeah. And you know, maybe its sequels weren't quite as good, but uh, especially the one where it opens with them hanging children. But um, but this but this one I really enjoyed, and. Just like the the fun of it, yeah. You know, this was on my extras list uh, in case you chose it, and I I love this movie. I probably have told the story on here before. I got to see it at Downtown Disney, Disney Springs, um, when it came out on its opening night. I still have posters that they gave out from the showing um it was one of those things we would have never went if it wasn't a rainy night we had our entire trip planned out and just you know we always have flexibility in case it would rain and because it was just so so bad it's like okay we'll go see a movie and i i can remember like this was not on our radar as much as we are massive disney fans we're at walt disney world it's like completely missed that it was happening and show up at the theater and it's like, well, might as well see this Pirates of the Caribbean movie on the night that, you know, we're in Walt Disney World. And I, I it quite easily changed my life. Um it <laughs> it like I don't know the last before that it had to be Star Wars that was the last time a movie had that much of an impact on me that I was obsessed with it. I it reignited the love of the ride for me. It just I you know I discovered really Johnny Depp in it like so many other people and mm-hmm. then you know for years enjoyed what he did until I stopped enjoying what he was doing. Um, Wonka uh, had a big impact oh, on that. I was thinking um, Crimes of Grindelwald or whatever, whichever well, one he was. In. I gave up on him a long time before that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, they definitely hit some highs there in the, mm-hmm. the mid 2000s before hitting some pretty big lows. But uh, it just, you know, this re reinvented the live action uh, action adventure movie. In a big way. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, it, 
you're right. It was never done as well as Curse of the Black Pearl in terms of the pirate stories. You know, I, I, in other action adventures, like I think National Treasure is so incredible uh, in the Disney realm. I did not put that on the list, but as much. I did neither, but I like it. I do. I like, I like it a lot. Um, is yeah. I, I love uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. My favorite will always be Dead, Dead Man's Chest. But that, mm-hmm. I think, is because I got to see a, a preview screening of it because, uh, uh, friend worked at a movie theater and got us in a couple days early and i i just uh, that was like wait they show movies early to people so that was another <laughs> awakening i had in my life and uh but yeah pirates of the caribbean just it, if you don't if you haven't seen it at this point how do you even go on the attraction <laughs> like they just made the attraction <laughs> there's the always there's always youngsters new to true. these things true always true. a new generation that's why walt always re-released every seven years uh, honestly i think they put that in the uh the episode of behind the attractions where <laughs> i think someone even made reference that now people come and they ride the ride and like wait it's based on a movie I think that was in the opening part <laughs> joking about it, but it's oh, funny. Yeah. Um, it's, it's good. And like I said, with this, uh, I, I feel like it reinvented action adventure movies for Disney. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about another genre that Disney, I feel like is a master at, and that is, uh, uplifting sports movies. And I had a lot to choose from, uh, but ultimately in my list, I went with, uh, 1993's Cool Runnings, which is just a delightful little movie about the Jamaican bobsled team that, uh, Mm -hmm. that did not have, uh, good luck in the, uh, in the Olympic games. Um, but you know, it's a, a, a much like saving Mr. Banks. It is a heavily fictionalized version of the Jamaican national bobsled team at the, uh, 1988 winter Olympics. And this just, it like, Disney does in all of these sports movies, they just find a way for the group to come together to to become a team, to become more powerful, uh, throw in one of John Candy's last performances that just I mean, he ignites the screen every time he's on it. All the all of the the four main actors in it are fantastic. Uh, you got you got villains in there too because uh, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be a good movie if they didn't have uh, if they didn't have villains. And uh, I believe it was the uh, the it might have been the Germans in this one, which you know would definitely fall into that late late eighties timeline. Um, it's just there's there's so much to love about this movie and again it's not accurate in many many ways but you just watch it you turn your brain off and uh you know it's it's just it's enjoyable it's you wouldn't you wouldn't get to remember the titans miracle even mighty ducks all those movies without Mm -hmm. without cool runnings in my opinion I agree. That is a fun film. I really like it. It's very uplifting, heartwarming, heartwarming, inspiring, um, and it's well acted. Yep, and all that. So yeah, I agree. That that is a. I remember when Carol and I went and saw that. That was. I do too. It's it's a delightful little film. I mean, I don't remember when you and Carol saw it. I remember when I saw it, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Disney's so well known for its live action adaptations of their classic animated films. I felt 
I had to include one in here for better or for worse. And I included what I feel is, is the best one that they've done, or at least the one of the top ones. It is my favorite. I have talked about this before. So yeah, it is not Maleficent. Although that's on a lot of top 10 lists I've seen around. (laughs) Um, It is Cinderella. Mm -hmm. I just, love this film i watch it yearly sometimes twice a year especially if i'm feeling down or something this is a film that cheers me up it is i just think it's beautiful it's stunning it is what disney should be doing with their live action adaptations they stay true to the core of the film they stay true to the core of their characters but they add to the film that still is true to the core of the the film, the story. And so Cinderella is a little more, um, I don't know, um, a, mo- a little more assertive than maybe in the animated film, but she's still sweet. She's still kind. She's still generous. She, um, the, the evil, there's still the evil queen and this, or the evil stepmother and the stepsisters. The, uh, the, the, the prince has a bit of more of a personality in here and you understand his motivations and his desire to be a good ruler and, and how it's a partnership. He sees having a queen as a partnership to ruling the kingdom. So they've put in some more modern messages, but it still works well within the storyline. So it, and then visually it is absolutely gorgeous. The dress just, the dress is amazing. Just amazing. And they had to get the dress right. And they did. And, and when you hear, you know, it was 50 pounds and, you know, and all this, how she waltzed in that thing, I'll never know. And then, um, and then the, the coach and that when the coach changes back into the pumpkin again, that scene is, is incredible. And the, the little, the footmen change back into lizards and, and all of that. It's all, and it's very believable. These little mice who are mice, they're not Gus Gus and Jacques and all that, um, how they help Cinderella and the little birds and all that. So they do a terrific job of making this story believable in this setting. And I, I, you know, I, I wish Disney could learn from this film that they made back in 2015. That's the hard part of it is that I also hate recommending it because uh, to me, when I watch it, and I watch a lot of the other ones, it's like they figured it out back then. Why Why can't they just <laughs> roll with this, this style moving forward? But, you know, that's when something like Alice in Wonderland or Maleficent does very well, or Beauty and the Beast, then it gives them lots of reasons to do it in those other ways and try those things. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't think they're successful, I, I would rather much watch uh, Cinderella, Pete's dragon, a, a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot That's of these more good interesting one. takes on it, but mm-hmm. yeah, you're, I mean, you, you hit the mark right on it, Michael. Like if, if there is one 
if there's one of these reimaginings that we will be watching in 50 years from now, it, it probably will be Cinderella. I mean, mm-hmm. there will be a lot of people watching the other ones, but like, what, what are you doing? It's like when, uh, you know, when people are like <laughs> some of the more obscure Disney movies from the 70s, uh, when like, oh, that's what I watched last week. Like, what? What did you watch? I've never heard of that one. Um, but Cinderella should be remembered for years and years. I agree. And and it brings back Lavender Blue, mm-hmm. one of my favorite, more obscure Disney songs. Yeah. And um, and it's nice because it wasn't in the original animated film. It's from another Disney film. So uh, actually a couple of Disney films that sort of made its way through a few films. Yeah. But um and it's great, and it has some of the fi- uh, some of the songs from the animated film that they worked in very nicely. Absolutely, and I, I know I went in depth on Lavender Blue because I believe I included it on my uh, Disney mix summer mix mm-hmm. that we came up with uh, to end our our summer season this past year of connecting with Walt. So, uh, if you want to hear me uh, throw in uh, information about Lavender Blue plus uh, lots of honorable mentions that drove Michael nuts, then (laughs) that's the episode for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. Uh, What, what do you have next, Craig? So I had to include uh, some of the properties that Disney has uh, purchased over the years. And Mm -hmm. um, I I struggled with what to choose from Uh, like sound of music jumped out in my head, but that's still so new with Fox that I can't consider Sound of Music a Disney movie. It just, it won't work that way. Uh, but there was one that uh, definitely stuck with me that just feels inherently Disney now at this point, And that's uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I feel like this movie of all the Marvel movies that we've seen to this date is just... It it may, maybe it doesn't have the Disney soul to it, but it is it's what I love about Marvel movies. And you know, I I don't necessarily think it's the best one. I still would probably lean more towards Captain America: Winter Soldier, but that's such a heavy spy thriller movie that it's hard to rewatch just constantly. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is just a fun space opera that has spawned, you know. Devices sequels, I'll say. Um, I I don't care for the second one. Love the third one. And I feel like most people would completely uh, disagree with me on that. Uh, the third one turned a lot of people off. And the second one, you know, it, it got us the classic line of, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. So uh, <laughs> tying, tying that back into uh, our Mary Poppins talk here. But I, I just think the first one is such a classic. It establishes the character so well. Uh it feels so familiar, but so unique. And, you know, it's we, the end game and Infinity War and the movies that followed in Marvel wouldn't be the same without Guardians of the Galaxy. And we wouldn't have mm-hmm. one of the best attractions at Walt Disney World and also Disney California Adventure without Guardians of the Galaxy. So they've left their stamp on Disney for sure. I, I like all three of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. So, um, yeah, so they're uh, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, so I, I can see adding them to adding it to to this list of Disney live action, and it is a part of their history. Yeah, 
Oh, I mean, especially with the way that they have integrated into the parks. I mean, Mm -hmm. Cosmic Rewind is I don't know the next time Disney will do something that cool at Walt Disney World. Um, Journey of Water definitely wasn't it. And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I Mission Breakout. So many people just stood there saying, how will this ever fit in in Disney California Adventure? And yeah, it still sticks out like a sore thumb, but you can't get on it and not just admit how cool that ride is, how fun it is. So. Yeah. But, well, yeah, but for people who get motion sickness like I do, <laughs> so I'll never go on Cosmic Rewind. And I think at our, our Dreams Unlimited event uh, this past summer, that was my last time going on Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Well, I I won't let you get away with Cosmic Rewind. I will for I will. You're going to have to drug me heavily. Well, I won't I do that, that, but one. I will be very convincing. So. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see. My next one is. It's funny. Um, it's also one of the most successful adaptations that spawned a theme park attraction. This is an adaptation from a book. And we talked about this last year, and that is um, Swiss Family Robinson mm-hmm. um, from 1960. This is, this is you know, I, I went back and forth. This is the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Swiss Family Robinson? And I went with 1960s Swiss Family Robinson because this is just so much fun. You know, we talked, we went into detail about the filming of it and, you know, this offsite filming that they did on this island that at the time was very remote and exotic in the 60s. And, um, you know, but this just brings a smile to me every time that I, uh, I watch this. It's just, Fun and it's you know and I know now there's a warning in front of it on Disney Plus because of the pirates and things, but still it's it just it's so adventurous. And when I first saw it when I was a little boy, when it was you know in its rotation, seven year rotation, this is like every child's I don't know idea of just something fun to do, living on an island in a treehouse and with animals and fighting off pirates and all that is such a perfect movie mm-hmm. for families. Uh, I just thoroughly enjoy this. And this was groundbreaking for Disney at the time, this film, everything that went into making it and building the treehouse and all that. And of course, then they built it at Disneyland, Walt Disney World. They've reintroduced it again, uh, uh, another version of it at Disneyland. I look forward to seeing this weekend. So um, just just a fun, fun film. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to put it on your list. I actually, <laughs> I, I don't have 20,000 leagues on my list either, but I, I knew Swiss Family that you were going down that road. Because like for me, Mary Poppins is in a league of its own. And then I like in that next level right below Mary, I think of uh, 20,000. I think of Swiss. I think of Old Yeller. And the one that jumped out to me immediately was Swiss Family Robinson. Mike, it just... We said enough on that episode. It's just, it is, it is that dream that everyone, at least I think most kids have at some point in time, if they're exposed to that movie, like I could live there, I could do that. 
I like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's all possible and no, it's not. I, I would be dead the first day um, <laughs> for sure, but I'd probably fall out of the tree house. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah no, it's, I wouldn't even go up the tree house. I'd be too afraid to go up there, but the idea of it is what matters most. And it's, it's a classic classic for that reason. So mm-hmm. uh, an excellent choice. Um, I, probably much like my next choice, which uh, I, I covered Marvel, so I have to bring up Star Wars. And I thought about The Last Jedi because, you know, it's technically that's in the, the Disney family uh, a ton, as well as uh, Rogue One, which I also love. But if you're talking Star Wars, uh, you have to go Empire Strikes Back from uh, mm-hmm. from 1980 yes most people would say well you probably should start with actual star wars a new hope but um i, I honestly I, I think you can watch empire strikes back without needing a new hope in there i mean literally if you've seen any movies you understand the character of vader you understand the hero and luke uh the scoundrel and han and the princess with leia like it's all just the characters are all just caricatures of uh, of action adventure people in in literature and other movies it's just it's all recycled in that way and that's what makes it so accessible and just empire strikes back hits it with the best visuals it's just so so much more menacing i don't like calling it darker but it it's a lot more menacing it feels like the stakes are higher right from the front starting off with you know darth vader hot on the heels of of everyone in hoth which is so 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 beautiful the way they they did the creation of the ice planet hoth um you know obviously uh moving to to cloud city is just another uh iconic scene from any of the star wars movies and uh the score for me is it's the best score yoda is my favorite star wars character so i have to have to gravitate towards this um Empire Strikes Back. It's it is my favorite movie of all time. I don't I don't oh, ever wow. foresee it not being that. So wow, and that was it was such a step up in visual effects. Yeah. Also, I mean, really, a lot of groundbreaking effects in that film. Yeah, and I would say uh, I think we plugged it at least once. I, I haven't been on the show a lot, um, but the ILM show, Industrial Light and Magic. Uh, documentary they did for disney plus Mm -hmm. just watch it (laughs) and look at the hard work that went into not just these movies but all movies that were produced uh using ilms uh different divisions starting you know obviously with uh more hands-on special effects uh created with models and props moving into the computer age it is so fascinating and i i need to rewatch it actually when i can find time to but uh yeah it it helps paint the picture especially with hoth when you see those mm-hmm. small little models, how everything with the uh, with the stop motion came to be, it, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Stop motion always just, I don't know, impresses me because it seems so tedious. Yeah. Because you have to be so exact. The movements are so tiny that they have yeah. to make. I could never do it, but there, it's, I, I'm gravitated towards it. Yeah, yeah. My final one is another one that is was a cultural phenomenon at its time, but not just in film, but in television 
for the Disney Company, and that is Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. This was 1955 when every little boy had a coonskin cap, practically at this time. Now, Davy Crockett had been wildly popular on television, on the Disneyland anthology series. We talked about this when we talked about the history of the um, anthology series earlier. And the song, of course, was on radio. And, you know, they had the sheet music. A number of people had remade the song and were singing it. And Walt, this was another milestone. Walt took pre-existing footage took that some of that footage from the television show had it edited together into a film released it to theater it was a huge hit walt learned people will pay to see something they have already seen for free on television and that opened up a whole new door for the studio so this was not the first time, this is not the last time Walt would do something like this. And, um, you know, and, and nowadays we'd think nothing of it. Back then, it was amazing that people would go and see this on a big screen after seeing it in their living rooms. And it just, again, it just continued the phenomenon of Davy Crockett. Yeah, but in, I mean, in our culture. Yeah, it's also too. I feel like it's something that uh, is important now and in this day and age where, you know, so many people are turned away from theater saying, well, I have a big TV. I can I can just watch it at home. I've got a better sound system. I don't have people bothering me. It is. Yes, I get very annoyed with people who talk and have no theater etiquette at all. Um, I, <laughs> I appreciate a great sound system and a great brand new TV that looks incredible. There is nothing like the theater experience uh there mm-hmm. it does it just doesn't matter you can have the best short of having your own true theater in your house with a massive massive screen uh and i'm talking more than 105 inches bigger than your average projection i'm talking unless you take a theater that you would find out in a mall and plop it down on their house you will never recreate the atmosphere of seeing a movie, seeing having that shared experience. And, you know, Walt clearly, you know, that, that played into it, it, taking it from television to, to the big screen there, there is an audience for that. And I feel like now people have forgotten that like, Oh no, it's, I can just wait for TV. It's, it's just not the same. It's not the no, same. No, it's not. So. Although they need to stop selling candy and crinkly cellophane wrappers. That sound drives me nuts oh. in the theater. I <laughs> Otherwise, I agree with you completely. I I love the theater experience. Again, it, I go for the popcorn etiquette. a lot of I, times. So if Kylie <laughs> and I get like Bunch of Crunch with our popcorn, I we established a rule. The Bunch of Crunch has to be opened before the movie starts. And once the movie starts, you have to pour it into the popcorn. Uh, because if you're sitting there, you know, shaking the box, that's creating too much noise. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, and if the movie gets quiet, you have to put down the popcorn. You can't be that person during the emotional scene that out of nowhere just. Go, I know. <laughs> I, 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 tr- I try to remember to do that. 
uh, <laughs> Rhino does that, and it drives me nuts. That's why I don't like seeing movies with him because he'll <laughs> he will not put down the popcorn the entire time. So it could be the saddest moment in any movie, and you'll just hear him go. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, I'm sure I've done that. Because <laughs> I just start on, on that popcorn and I just keep munching yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the uh the my final of the live actions is also a cut- cultural touchstone in my opinion and it's the other movie that I will claim is my favorite movie of all time. I'm sure you <laughs> saw this coming from a mile away, Michael. It's the Muppet Christmas Carol of mm-hmm. uh, the great year of 1992. And, uh, you know, I know it's a, it's a Christmas movie. I I have slowly moved away from watching this year round because I don't want the judgment from people. But in my opinion, it's uh, a Christmas Carol is a story that uh, has resonance the entire year round uh even though Mm -hmm. it does take place over over that christmas time period it's it's a beautiful story uh it is it's the best muppet movie of all of the ones that that were made it just has a realness to it thanks to uh michael kane just taking it so seriously not not acting like they were muppets but acting like he was acting like any real actor should be uh, performing, uh, you know, don't, don't play to the cast around you play to what you believe the character should be. And it just, it, it was capturing lightning in a bottle and uh, you know, don't have to say the story. We all know the story. The songs are just so, so good all throughout. Um, there's emotion, there's heart, there's the laughter from the Muppets. Uh, it's it, it's sad that, you know, Brian Henson had to uh, take over for his dad with it, but uh, he he knocked it out of the park. And mm-hmm. uh, it's I, I cannot imagine going a calendar year without Muppet Christmas Carol being in my life. It is something I will watch multiple times each holiday season every year. A Christmas Carol, the story itself, is my favorite holiday book and film, Christmas book and film. And um, I have like six or seven film versions of Christmas Carol. And I start watching them in order. I just watched the Reginald Owen version over the weekend. And I will work up and Muppet Christmas Carol is in my list. I know and of ones that I watch every year. Yeah, I always I thoroughly enjoy it, and, and you always end it with a bang with one of the movies I'm sure will be on your animated list, and that, of course, is uh, the Robert Zemeckis Christmas Carol, starring Jim Carrey. Uh, you know, I do own it. That rarely makes it into my uh, list. I, every year, I say I'm going to rewatch it. I, and um, I do not. <laughs> I caught like five minutes of it the other day and I turned it off immediately. It's just so bad. I own it too. I know why I own it. It was because back in the early day of, of uh, Disney movie rewards uh, that they would have these clip, uh, coupons for Blu-rays when they were trying to get that format, like really going with mm-hmm. Disney, where it basically you basically get it for free. So I know I had like a coupon for 10 or $15 off of a Christmas Carol. So I got it for either free or five bucks, depending on what the sale was with it. So that's why I have it, but I regret it every day. (laughs) Oh, well, what can you do? So I'll probably watch it someday just to (laughs) confirm 
how much I dislike it. Someday we'll have to do a list of worst films. You always do best. Someday oh. we'll have to do worst. <laughs> It'll only be live action because we could do like 10 episodes on the worst live action Disney movies. <laughs> we could. We could. So People probably already know at least yeah. five that, that are going to be on there. So, okay. So let's move to animated films. So, um, of course, for me, you know, I'm going to put this on there. It's very predictable. The first Disney princess and the first full length animated feature film that, and it is one of my very favorites, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from 1937. We don't even, we went into the making of this film. What more can be said about the importance of this in animation history, in Disney history? This just started. I mean, it was the first animated feature film, and now they're on 62, is no. it? Is Wish the 62nd? 62nd taking place during the 100th year of the company. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this started it. This started it all. And it is so gorgeous. The the story, the um, animation, the detail that went into it. We wouldn't see detail like this after Pinocchio. They, they couldn't afford it. And uh, it's just beautiful. And that this helped, you know, this earned enough money so that they could buy the land for the Burbank studio. Mm-hmm. And when and when you think that, you know, films were a quarter or 25 cents at the time. And, and this made so much money for the studio. It was so popular. And it's beautiful. It's just, it's beautiful visually. It's a lovely story. The characters, this is when they, you know, character animation really, uh, that, that, um, really, really came into its own. That, that personalities animation really flourished, you know, in this era. And, And, you know, and it really started with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You know, with every every single character had a distinct personality, and um, I don't know, it's it's gorgeous. And the music, how the music was woven into the storytelling, something that hadn't been seen before. Yeah. So, um, just you know, I don't know what more I can say to sing the praises yeah. of this film. It's, I mean, it's truly an animated movie beloved by all ages, and. Uh, I I will always defend it anytime I get angry that people just you know call it oh it's an animated cartoon it's a kids movie it's it's not that that was not what they were going for and it's not what it accomplished it is a masterpiece it is something that you know there is something for everyone of all ages in there and uh, it's when you're looking at a movie what do you uh, animated movie i guess in this way how the format was defined uh you have great music you have uh you have a colorful cast of characters that you can you know find your favorite ones you can see yourself in some of those characters uh you have just you know a stunning animation from the foreground to the background you have the fun in it you have a little bit of uh you know there's some fearful moments in there it just it has it has it all. Um, there's there's a lot of Disney movies, uh, Disney animated movies that try to have it all, but there are a few that do, in my opinion. And Snow White mm-hmm. is the first, and you know, 
it, it created the format. So that's everything else has to live up to that. Yeah, I agree. And, um, Oh, there was something you said that tr- I, I can't remember. It triggered something I wanted to say. Now I can't recall it, but, um, d- d- and this was storytelling at its finest. And Oh, what you said was, you know, a kid's film. Walt wasn't making films for children. He was making films that anybody yeah. could, um, enjoy no matter what their age. I think that's something that maybe the Disney studio today is losing sight of. Maybe that's one of their many problems they're having right now. Yeah. Is they're losing, they're losing sight of their audience. And, um, and I'm hoping it's something that, you know, we might get into this a little later on that maybe they can hopefully recapture that again in their storytelling. Yeah. It's tough. And I'll talk about one example, uh, later on but i feel like they have these glimpses frozen is a is a great example of this where like yeah you have you know with olaf that you're going to attract kids immediately with that character but uh the first frozen movie in my opinion was not catering towards kids wasn't catering towards family they were they were trying to make a beautiful animated movie to be enjoyed by everyone. And it turned into a juggernaut because kids were attracted to the music of uh, uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and, and Bobby Lopez and, and having the humor through Olaf seeing themselves in the sisters and the twists that it went in there. A lot of the same elements that you can find in snow white were, were present in there. And I don't think that's, I, I don't think that was accidental in any way, but it, uh, it's then, I feel like you hit that and then you take a step down and you're like, yep, kids like this. So let's repeat that. And that's not the way to do it. I know the goal is to make money, but uh, I think audiences will also follow art every now and then. Um, And -hmm. that should always be the goal. You know, Walt wasn't Walt was not, uh, you know, he wasn't always making money. We, we talk about that on this show enough. Uh, there was plenty of times he hit failure with his movies. And I know that's not what stockholders like in these days, but uh, it's something that when you're making art, you have to be able to embrace that sometimes you're not going to have hits. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't go for it. Don't cater down to one specific audience because you want the money that goes with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I Sorry, I'm going to get off my tear on that. <laughs> but That's okay. Snow White. Great. <laughs> okay. Yes. Great one. Uh, so what about you? Well, I'm going to steal another princess away, hoping that you aren't going to talk about it because I was counting on you, including her in your live action. And you probably have her on here, too. But uh, Cinderella for me, uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, Snow White set the format. And I think Cinderella is maybe the only thing that could outdo Snow White. Um, uh, Just for me, I love the entire character design, uh, especially with the mice and the side characters. Cinderella is obviously very elegant, um, but it's the other characters in this movie that bring it to life. Uh, It's, it's a world that 
feels feels familiar it also truly feels like a fairy tale the entire way through uh just some of the best music that you could have in any disney animated movie and to me you know it's snow white will always define that early era and for the the 50s and 60s that era right before walt passed it's it's cinderella that's it's mm-hmm. the greatest thing in my opinion of what they did and while you have some great movies in that time period sleeping beauty uh the jungle book that hit some really really cool uh elements uh cinderella is just like it's it's the spiritual successor to snow white and uh i just I love it so much. It's not a surprise that it's one of the, you know, when they wanted to really do 4K restorations, Cinderella uh, looks better than ever before on Disney Plus now because mm-hmm. of it. So uh, mm-hmm. it's it's worth a watch. It is. And that's why it is on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is uh, from 1950. This uh, and for all the reasons that you said, Craig, and also because this saved the studio from bankruptcy. And complete failure. This, if Snow, if Cinderella was not successful, it was the end, and it was the end of animation and and the end of everything. So, and because again, they went back to their roots, they went back to their storytelling. What worked? Because Walt originally was uncomfortable doing Cinderella because he felt they had already done the big princess film, but that's what they were good at that and and they did it well for everything that you said from the music and from the music to the storytelling to the visuals the backgrounds they had the right balance of of sweetness and villainy Mm -hmm. you know in there also walt's favorite scene in any animated film ended up being the transformation scene of of the rags that cinderella is wearing into the beautiful ball gown and yep. um, that we can thank Mark Davis for. And um, so, yeah, this this scene is, is in, or this film is important to the studio in so many ways. Yeah. So I agree. That's why it's on my list as well. Yeah. The, the transformation scene. I mean, if you're, uh, so at D23 Expo, anytime they start like a movie panel, uh, live action, animated, whatever, uh, they do the, these these reels hype reels and they always have to include the past there will never like you have to include the transformation scene it's just like it's mm-hmm. right up there with with uh, peter pan with them flying uh, over london or flying out of the house like there's just there's some there's some moments in disney movies that just stand on their own and i don't know if there is a better one than the transformation scene um it's mm-hmm. it's I, iconic yeah i i might have some other favorite ones that I prefer, but if you're like looking at it the same way, you know, you might have some favorite Disney songs, but only when you wish upon a star defines the Walt Disney company. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's that, but, uh, I guess I'll jump back into the next yeah, one then since ahead. you covered mm-hmm. Cinderella too. Um, I'm now jumping way ahead in time, uh, to 1994 with the Lion King. And, uh, you know, in terms of Renaissance movies, I think a lot of people would jump towards uh, beauty and the beast. Uh, it would jump towards little mermaid. Uh, for me though, it was, it was that era is defined by the Lion King. And again, I think it's because they, you know, they got off to a great start with the little mermaid 
in that that era and generation and i think the lion king is when they hit their stride i also i think hunchback is beautiful um i i i think there's a lot to love in hercules and even even pocahontas which is one of the weaker ones so they they captured a certain voice in that generation but i think the lion king just was was a sum of everything perfect at a time uh the best voice casting in my opinion of that uh, of all the things they did during that time period with you know starting with jonathan taylor thomas this young simba pulling in that home improvement crowd of that time through <laughs> matthew broderick Whoopi goldberg uh yeah uh James Earl Jones, geez, Louise, uh, uh, like I can go on and on. Oh, Nathan on. Hale, Nathan Lane, um, Nathan Lane, uh, Jeremy Irons. Like mm-hmm. again, it's just keep going with it. Uh, so many good voices in there. Uh, having Elton John come in with the music was just next level and uh, you know it's I feel like the music will always survive. It spawned Disney's biggest Broadway hit that's still playing on Broadway. Oh yeah, it's it's coming to San Francisco right now this year. And mm-hmm. it's just it's it's one of my favorite Broadway musicals. I've seen it multiple times mm-hmm. and I know the story's never going to change. I that doesn't matter. It's just it's a spectacle. The Lion King the Lion King just went to the next level in so many ways and you know it's inspired obviously by not inspired by kimber or whatever they want (laughs) whatever that uh movie is that every now and then people bring up that what they ripped off with it and you know maybe they did maybe they didn't who cares um (laughs) hamlet all that is like it's it's mm-hmm. a story that just it has its classic roots, but done in a Disney way and easy to find success there. And for me, it's it will always be one of my favorites. Not the live action, uh, well, uh, animated say, live yeah. action, but uh, animated for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think Lion King is it is a beautiful film. Great stories, wonderful characters, um, the music. Oh gosh, I just can't wait to be king. You know, yeah. it is, uh, you know, you just tap your toes as you sing that. And and when they added in the scene, the um, morning report, when they re-released it years later, that fit in really well. It it was one of those rare moments when they added in a scene that actually contributed to the film. Yeah. I thought I really enjoyed it. Yep. So um, anyway, and. I also I also have a film from the Renaissance era, and it's not Little Mermaid. I remember when I saw Little Mermaid, and I was so impressed. I thought it was wonderful, and I said to Carol, "I, you know, we had taken the children to see it, and as we we're leaving the theater, I said, I don't know how Disney can top this." And for me, they did, and that's one that you did mention in 1991, Beauty and the Beast. I thought you were going to say Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> I did like that film. <laughs> and, and and that was groundbreaking too because of of the caps, you know, yep. the, the computer animation animated um CGI that they created and all that for that. But um no, for me it's Beauty and the Beast. It was it, it, again, it was just it was all in the storytelling. 
It was fantastic storytelling. Um, what again? Songs that blended into the film. Again, they went back to their roots. I feel with this film, in telling the story of a princess, you know, a, a fairy tale, and with character development, a story that you could follow. And, and and I think that is something that sometimes that Disney's now missing from some of their more modern films is they don't take the time for that character development and motivations and things like that. Why are the characters doing what they're doing? And I thought that this, you understood this in Beauty and the Beast and in Lion King, you know, as well. All those, all the films from this era, there was storytelling at, at its finest. Um, of course, it was the first animated feature to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, which changed the Academy Award because then they later made a category for Best Animated Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was it was beautiful. And then we did see some computer animation in there with, again, the blending of, of traditional and live action with the, a ballroom scene especially, which is, for me, that's one of the most visually stunning scenes in Beauty and the Beast. You know, it spawned, for me, a really fun Christmas sequel So that that I do watch that is cute. Doesn't live up to the original film, but is still cute. And um, I, I, really, I really enjoy this film. I am not a fan of the live action, although it's grown on me a little. Um, I don't think, I don't know, there's something lacking in the live action. The, the, um, animated one just has a magic, has a spark to it that I don't find in the live action version. Um, even though it's telling the same story, there's an element missing in it that is sort of hard for me to define. But, um, but anyway, that's why this one is on my list. No, and it's, I, you know, I feel like the joke would be better that the Little Mermaid walked so uh, Beauty and the Beast could run. But um, I, uh, yeah, it, it definitely, that is kind of the progression with it. And then I feel like on the kind of adventure side, you know, you had Aladdin then lead into mm-hmm. Lion King. So it kind of happened there too. But with what holds back Beauty and the Beast for me is I think that it is incredibly strong up until you get to the point with, Belle leaving the castle and going back to her father and setting up the entire uh, villainous arc at the end, which is you, it has to be it has to happen. And then to show the beastful arc as a character, you have to have him let go in that way. Um, it's all mm-hmm. it's all necessary. It just it never connected as much with me in that way. But I mean, I I can still sit back and, you know, just admire it for him it being the beautiful film that it is. And I, I will always take a chance to watch it when I, when yeah. I have one, but yeah, it's just, it's, it has that one, one small part at the end that just is where, where it keeps it for me from being the best of that era. But mm-hmm. I mean, also people could look at me and be like, but you chose the lion King where they started to throw in, probably too many uh, references to to the modern world with it's a small world and they call me oh, yeah uh, you know maybe maybe that's who we have to blame before shrek happened so um <laughs> yeah and of course beauty and the beast spawned a wonderful broadway musical 
Mm-hmm. And and a show at um, Disney Hollywood Studios. It just seems to go on forever. Uh, not not, <laughs> uh, not a beautiful Broadway show, but the Broadway show is. It was my first Broadway show actually mm-hmm. that I saw in New York. Just stunning. So yeah, yeah, and the, and the Beast transformation on stage is very impressive. And many people right now consider that have been lucky enough to see the Tokyo attraction of Beauty and the Beast consider it to be the 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 pinnacle of Disney attractions right now. So uh, you know, it's Beauty and the Beast will live on forever. <laughs> that's that's for I, sure. I think so. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, uh, an attraction that is definitely not the pinnacle of Disney attractions, but uh, is still inspired by the next movie on my list. It's uh, Moana. And of course, I was referring to Journey of Water. Um, yes. <laughs> just needing to make that very clear. Not the pinnacle of attractions right now. But uh, Moana, to me, is, you know, we've talked about this arc now with was starting with Snow White to Cinderella to to uh, Beauty and the Beast. And I feel like Moana is the last time, potentially the last time totally, that we could see uh, a Disney princess character done perfectly. And I want to th- throw mm-hmm. Tiana in there, too. Even though that's not on my list, I th- could be on yours. We'll have to wait and see. But um, I-, I think Moana is the last time Disney has nailed um, that, that female character, even though calling her a princess is on the rough side. It's technically what she is, but um, Moana to me is it's, it's a perfect movie. It is just, it has something about it that frozen will never have. It has, it has that catchy music. Um, It has just a voice cast that ignites the screen. Um, It's got humor. Uh, Shiny might be one of the dumbest songs in any Disney movie ever. (laughs) And maybe it like stops that entire movie, but I, it does. You cannot though. You can't get it out of your head. It's a, it's a true Mm -hmm. earworm. And um, it's just, and for me, it all comes back to like going all the way back to the animated ones. We talked about uh, Hawaiian holiday in that perception. And this, does the same thing with Pacific Islands to an extent and uh, just sets up this magical world that is what I want it to be in a world that I want to live in. And um, that uh, one of my favorite, 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 favorite scenes in any Disney movie, probably for all time will be uh, at the, towards the end of the movie when Moana finally figures out um figures out everything with Tikha and Tafiti in that background and the the waters part so she can finally confront Tikha and it just you have that slow motion walking in the waves. It's just it's it is a perfect, perfect shot. And I will mm-hmm. never not get take the opportunity to talk about how perfect it is while you have the, the beautiful music of her singing uh, during that entire time too. It's the, it is one of the best collision montages you have where you have this energetic uh, manic moment, but set in such a peaceful, peaceful way. And uh, it's just the sum of all of its parts together, just made such a beautiful movie and now uh i don't i don't think we'll ever be able to separate lin-manuel miranda in disney because uh, that their, their connection the bond that they made there is now just going stronger and stronger and uh 
you know, we'll, we'll probably see it forever as long as he wants to be involved. And it wouldn't yeah. surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. Moana almost made it to my list, also because it's probably one of the last successful animated <laughs> films they've had yeah, in, in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you one that made it to my list, and I was really hesitant to do this, but it. It, it and you've already brought it up, but it had such an impact on the Disney studio, and like you said, on a lot of little girls and on quite a few little boys too. Um, Frozen, yeah, I had to add it in here for all the reasons you already said. Visually, it was stunning, some of the special effects and the story and everything. But boy, that the song, the song, we all know the song, and that was everywhere we couldn't get away from it uh it was in every parade every fireworks show i mean every nighttime spectacular for years they worked it in there and um it spawned sequels uh frozen four is supposedly in some sort of early development stage and um or it's just Bob Iger just threw it out there. I yeah. uh, and, and now they have and, to make it. Now they have to make it. I think that's what he did with a lot of those sequels he but, mentioned. Um, they're opening up, you know, Arendelle areas of, um, you know, in the international parks yeah. with, uh, you know, Wandering Oaken's um, roller coaster that is less than a minute long from what I understand. Yeah, it's very and short. Then, <laughs> yeah, and then a variation on um, – the attraction that's in the Norway pavilion at Epcot. So this, this is another one of those films that will go on forever and ever. It was on stage. It was on Broadway. It was excellent because, um, you know, I saw it on stage. Carol and I saw it on stage. So it it was great. The, her transformation scene from her dress into her blue gown Mm -hmm. was also amazing and all that. And so, um, anyway, so it, it's a, it's a terrific, you know, I, I had to include it in there. Yeah. So, no, it's, I, there's only been one time with a Disney movie that I've ever felt like I was in, uh, back to the future. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't with, uh, Davy Crockett, even though I, I meant to bring that up when you talked about Davy Crockett, so powerful that it made its way into a universal movie because uh, you can't talk about 1955 without Davy Crockett. But um, mm-hmm. I the scene in Back to the Future when Marty's playing Johnny Be Good and uh, Chuck Berry's cousin Marvin Berry is listening to it and calls up Chuck to have him steal the song. And, you know, and then Marty goes into his amazing solo and says, well, they, you know, I guess that was too much, but your kids are going to love it. And I felt the exact same way as Marty. The first time I was standing watching world of color, winter dreams at Disney California adventure and let it go came on. And I was like, I was, I don't remember a time that I was more emotional because I had seen a preview screening of frozen. And so I understood, let it go. I, I got the song completely. It was, it, I already was in love with it and no one was reacting around to it. It was just, it was the first time they heard it without the context of the movie. Mm -hmm. It was like foreign. And I'm just like, when you see this movie, you are going to love it. And 
then it took over to the point that we're watching videos on YouTube of it being sung in 30 different languages um, for <laughs> three minute song, just too much. And, and even beyond that, like no one expected every song off of it. Do you want to build a snowman? Love is an open door. Like every song became something that kids were singing and, and families were getting so annoyed with it's i don't i don't know if there will be another frozen for disney i i hope there is um that's that invigorates a new passion and care for the disney animated movies at least um you know we saw glimpses of it with encanto becoming so popular but not on that frozen level and uh yeah it, it could be the last special one in that way i really hope it's not though but very important yeah uh, halloween i st- there's still little girls coming in elsa costumes so, yeah, well, and they will. Yeah, you can't say that about many <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, what's yours? What, what do you have next? Okay, Greg? I'm done with Disney movies. I had to include two Pixar on here, and uh, even though it might not be the best of the sequels, it had spawned as well. But um, Toy Story for me is the one time I will step back and say. Uh, you have to go with the original. You know, people love two. Um, people are obsessed with three. Not as many people love four. We'll see how people feel about five. Uh, <laughs> if that happens. Uh, you know, it's obviously it's inspired some okay theme park lands, uh, some great theme park attractions, um, awesome TV specials. Uh, the world the world would be a different place without Toy Story. I mean, we, we wouldn't have Pixar without mm-hmm. Toy Story. And uh, you just you can't you can't step away and not appreciate its its importance. And, yeah, I, I do think the emotional elements of three are great. And two also built on that. You had to start with one, though, and it's rough to watch now in terms of the animation. It's definitely it shows its age, but it is a fast paced movie with with great music with fantastic voice cast and uh it's it's just you know it it has to be at the top or right near the top when you're talking about the best pixar movies Mm -hmm. and that's why it's on my list (laughs) it's my (laughs) final one on my list from 1995 and it's the first feature length computer animated film it also had great humor in it that appealed to everybody adults as well as children and um you know and, and little things that kids wouldn't pick up but you know like when um woody calls him buzz light beer yeah well okay that was for the adults you know and, and there's all kinds of little things in there and um, i agree even though it might be a little hard to watch it's still a delightful film it is a great story that establishes these characters in their world and they became beloved yep. and it spawned the sequels. It spawned, you know, their Disney California adventure. We have a whole section in there that was rethemed to them. Yeah. And um, so it's, so I agree with you. It's, it's historic. Yeah. And, you know, in animation history. Yeah. And unlike when I talked about Star Wars saying it's these stereotypes, these characters you see over and over again, uh, you, you can go into Toy Story 2, but if you lose the entire arc of what happened with Buzz Lightyear and the, in the feuding between Woody and his bitterness and the just arrogance and, 
you know, just not knowing of Buzz Lightyear. You, if you lose that, you know, Toy Story 2, still a great movie. You can understand neglect and moving on in Toy Story 3. You still get the themes, but it's how the characters were established in the first one mm-hmm. that makes it essential viewing for everything else. There's, there's parts of those other movies you can't appreciate without going back to step one. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it's just, it's so good. Yeah. I, and, yeah. What, and what's fun is they also took toys that a lot of us played with and gave them life, you know, like Slinky Dog and Mr. Potato Head and, and Etch-A-Sketch and so many others yep. that, and that made it even a little more magical. Yeah. And now you, know? you don't, think about Mr. Potato Head without thinking of the Toy Story version. That is now That's right. Mr. Potato Head. Uh, it's That is something else when culture is redefined because of a movie uh, very similar to Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean. Uh, yeah. Lots of trends. Um, my, Unless you have anything else to say about Toy Story, I can get to my final one. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, I'm staying with, uh, with Pixar as much as you thought I was going to go with Spies in Disguise. Uh, from Fox. Uh, no, it may have all started with Toy Story, but I think Pixar made its best movie ever with Wally. And I know that might not be necessarily the most popular choice, and uh, there there are a lot of uh, more comical elements to it that I think some people might. You know, stay away from the masterpiece. Uh, but that's also the charm of Pixar, in my opinion. You know, it's like you talked about Beauty and the Beast being the uh, the first animated movie getting nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. Up also followed in those footsteps with Pixar, and that had ridiculous talking dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't been, haven't been able to go away and uh, still continue to thrive. And uh, so it's no matter what Pixar you go to, I feel like it's always going to have that little element of fun and difference to it. But Wally is just, a, it's a juggernaut. I mean, the first 40 minutes, you know, most people get turned off by how slow it is and the lack of dialogue. And uh, to me, it just, it plays out like a beautiful silent movie. And then, yeah, you, you make it up onto the spaceship and things get more exciting. Uh, Again, another beautiful score by Thomas Newman, just like with saving Mr. Banks, the defined dancing with him and Eve flying through space together, really connecting Mm -hmm. is, is up there in terms of the most beautiful scenes ever put onto film. And uh, all while having a soundtrack that focuses around Hello Dolly and human connection. (laughs) It's just, it's a movie that if you read it on paper, you would say, how would this ever work? It's when you see Wally, you say, okay, they're just ripping off the robot from short circuit. How is this going to work? It does in every way. And I, you know, Pixar has made some incredible movies. It's hard to whittle it down to one or two, but yeah, Wally is, um, you know, Wally sits, you can't, Obviously, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but I have Wally stuff all beside me because that is how important that character is to me in that movie. So uh, just a just a treasure. Well, when you think about it, too, Wally and Eve help 
humans in the film rediscover their humanity mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. I think it's, it's a beautiful film. The love story between Wally and Eve is just so touching. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, I think it is a wonderful film. I think most people, like you said, would gravitate towards up because it does mm-hmm. tell a beautiful love story and it has talking dogs. And, yeah. but, um, but it, 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 Wally is a beautiful story in itself of, you know, sort of, you know, abandonment and then love and discovering love and then humans who have lost their way and, and find their path again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, exactly. it, it's terrific. It's just a wonderful film. Yeah. The finding, yeah. finding your place. It's a mm-hmm. robot built for one specific purpose to live over and over again, who wanted more and found where he belongs in the greater scheme of it. Just like there's so many people out there trying to figure out what am I meant for more? What is out there for me? Can I find what I'm looking for? And uh, Wally covers all that in, you know, a way that maybe it's a little on the nose for, for some, but for me, it's just, it's, it's packed with theme after theme, after theme, after theme. And uh, it just, it, it makes you think and there's uh, there's a handful of pixar movies that do that uh you know inside out being one of them and mm-hmm. i think wally again though is the it's kind of that it hits everything so uh, had to be on yeah. my list yeah well there you go that is our list lists of the best or most important films in the 100 years of the Walt Disney Studio. So do you agree with our list? Do you tell us what are yours? What's on your list? But we hope these, if these give you some things to watch, you know, coming up as part of your celebration. And we'd be interested in knowing what yours are as well. What do you plan to watch? What would you add? What would you subtract to this? Because this is all subjective. Mm-hmm. too so um so these these are our thoughts on here we hope you enjoyed them but now it's time for this week in disney history all right so craig would you like to go first since i started us off with the lists would you like um, to go first for disney I- history I would like to go first, and uh, I should say uh, one of the guidelines you gave for this week, since this is our uh, final episode of the year, which I don't know if we've said yet. Uh, no, we point, haven't. But, um, I, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> you you kind of left it a little bit wider open that we can go from a greater point in time. And uh, the one thing that I wanted to jump to uh, specifically, because we are in the Christmas season, is I jumped straight to Christmas Day. Uh, there was one uh there was one moment in particular that i knew i wanted to talk about and uh it's it's uh, the debut of um disney's first tv special one hour in wonderland and uh i mean we kind of talked a lot about you know disney movies finding their way on tv and that's part of what happened with this special but i mean it kicked off tv in such a massive way with disney but uh, the reason i wanted to bring it up is because um they on disney plus recently they added the uh, the christmas with walt disney special from the walt disney family museum it and is wonderful wonderful I, 
was I watched it in a sleepy fever state where I absorbed every little bit of it like I never do when I'm that tired and then watched it again immediately to take it all in. And uh, they spend a good good amount of time, you know, incorporating uh, One Hour in Wonderland in it, including the little section with the, the fire Firehouse 5 Plus 2, which mm-hmm. I just... I, I loved it. I mean, I, I one hour in Wonderland. You know, it's we've all seen bits and pieces, maybe the full thing with it. But um, I, it just, I just felt like I was reinvigorated uh, watching the Walt Disney Family Museum special on Disney Plus, where it's like it made me appreciate one hour in Wonderland plus Christmas in Disney so much more. So uh, knowing that we had a full month to pick from, I was like, yeah, I I've got to got to go towards that so yeah. that debuted 19 1950 many many years ago now <laughs> yeah when I mean, we talked about the history of the anthology series on connecting as well we talked about that because that started that was the beginning of what ultimately led walt to say yes we will do a weekly television series which again was historic for a studio because all the studios shunned the uh films and all the television studios, they would not, they wouldn't, the networks, they would not deal with the movie studios at all. They saw them as a threat. Walt saw the potential and embraced it. And, um, you know, there's history right there with that. But I love One Hour in Wonderland. And yes, the, every year at the Walt Disney Family Museum, I would see that film, Christmas with Walt Disney, which is made by Don Hahn. Yeah. So, um, so it's terrific. And actually, this December fifth, Don Hahn's debuting another film on Walt's birthday, um, Westward, um, Westward Ho with Walt, or something like Westward oh, Walt. Thank goodness, Westward thank Walt. You. Yeah. So, um, they they showed it at D twenty Destination D twenty three. Yes, they and did. I was so bummed because I had a uh, engagement with Disney Media. Uh, that I made it in about like, I think 10 minutes into it. And mm-hmm. I just stood on the side and I was like, when it slows down, I'll, I'll find a seat and just pop in. I stood the entire time. <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't. It wasn't move. it good. It just, oh, it was so good. I'm so, I've been yeah. so mad the entire time being like, when will I get a chance to see it fully again? Yeah. So, I'm, so I'm happy that it's coming out. So it's coming out at the museum, and then he's going to give a talk afterwards. So I got a half a day off from work. My boss gave it to me because she knew this was important. And um, so I'm going to go drive down there after half yeah. a day of work and go that see it. And then, and then drive home. Yeah, he's great. And then so I'm hoping that means at some point it will be on Disney yeah. Plus or or somewhere. So I, yeah, I think that's the – the progress up to it now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that Don Hahn, he's going places. We'll probably hear oh, his yeah. name again. Oh, so, probably. Too. Well, speaking of December 5th, you probably knew I was going to choose this one. I, we're talking about 100 years of Disney. We have to go with where it really all began. December 5th, 1901. The Walter Elias Disney is born to Flora and Elias Disney. And this is at there. He's born at home. In the upper bedroom, one of the upper bedrooms in the two-story home that um, that Elias built, that and that Flora designed, that um, and, and it was the address at the time was twelve forty-nine Trip Avenue in a new section of Chicago, Illinois, sort of on the edge of the wilderness, if you can imagine. 
at the time. Um, in 1909, the address will change to 2156 North Trip Avenue, where it is located today. And this is, of course, the fourth son born to the Disneys. And how did he get named Walter? Well, the family's pastor was named Walter Parr, and he and that he was the pastor of St. Paul's Congregational Church that was just a couple blocks from the Disney home. And and actually, Elias had helped build the church. Well, Pastor Parr's wife was also pregnant. So they had agreed that they each had sons. They would name them after each other. So indeed, they both had boys. So um, Walt so that's how Walt got named, and a pastor's son was Elias Parr. And Walt always felt he got the he, he had said later in life, "I got the better end of the deal." <laughs> so um, <laughs> anyway, and then um, and then of course we know that the Disney family will move to Missouri, you know, in 1906 to Marceline, and then they'll return to Chicago in 1917. So December 5th, big day in Disney history. For us, yeah, so. I mean, the biggest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. So, we've been talking about films, uh, Craig. Have you seen any of the recent films? I know you've been busy being a dad and the holidays and all that, like the Marvels, Wish, or anything like that. I I did see Marvels, so uh-huh. I haven't made it to Wish yet. So, dealing with the uh, illness over uh, the holiday period where wish was released so fortunately didn't make it to that yet but i I did catch marvels and uh i actually i thought it was a lot of fun so one of the uh, you know it's i i understand why people are getting tired with marvel as of as of late but for me there was there was a fun aspect where it didn't take itself too seriously um you know i feel like if you saw Captain Marvel, then that was a good benchmark for it. You didn't have to watch Ms. Marvel to understand those characters or really catch up on WandaVision. Any of that is kind mm-hmm. of like it, it felt like, yeah, you could just jump back into this this world with only seeing the previous movie in that series and and be fine with it. So I I I enjoyed it. I I also like all the all those characters, especially Ms. Marvel. I thought that mm-hmm. TV show just didn't really it didn't get the praise it deserved. It got a lot of critical praise, but no one ever really was talking about watching it. And I felt like I was alone when I was watching it. So yeah, I didn't. I haven't seen it. I wanted to see the Marvels just because I like I like you know Marvel in general. Um, but I you know I was traveling a lot of yeah. times when it was out, and then I promptly got sick. When I got home, as anybody who listened to the previous episode knows, and I still haven't totally bounced back. So I haven't seen it. Wish I was going to see over the holidays, and I just I just never got around to it between traveling to my daughter's house for Thanksgiving and then um to then just, you know, taking down Thanksgiving decorations, getting ready for the show, getting putting up the outside decorations for Christmas. I just ran out of time. Also, yeah, out of stamina <laughs> doing all that too. So, uh, anyway, oh, understandably, but, but I, it's weird. It's the first. Um, I I think. Well, I didn't see Strange World, but that's that also released in a Strange World. I don't know. It's something. I maybe I'm part of the problem, but 
since um i mean since onward well no that was pixar but so raya since raya um i just haven't really had a passion to like see a disney movie in theaters on that first weekend um Mm -hmm. i only saw Encanto because of uh it debuting over d20 destination d23 weekend uh Mm -hmm. that year when it happened but i don't know I've lost that spark for Walt Disney animation. And I, you know, I've, I've heard and read stuff about wish and I'm going to try to set that to the side, but uh, it, you know, besides the animation style to it and the overall premise, there was nothing that was ever capturing me. Like this is the movie that should have been made for the hundredth anniversary of the company. I, I never kind of, got that perception yeah, the it, trailers so. didn't grab me but i thought i'm going to go see it because i want it to do well i mean but what do you think is going on they have had seven films in a row that have not met expectations and um you know uh, you know elemental sort of hung in there and finally did decent box office but i mean this is shocking What's it yeah. going on? And I think some of it is they have got to rein in the budgets on oh, some yeah, of these sure. films. I mean, I mean, oh my goodness! When you hear what they've spent on these, and you know, and when when we do like we just finished our Bambi series, and we got into that where Walt started saying, "Okay, you need to cut back. We we stop animating some of these scenes and all that because they had to rein in the budget." And it seems like I don't know if anybody's doing that at Disney. Uh, no and i mean arguably it's also uh something that bob Iger doesn't want them to do considering i mean he's gonna have to do it now but you know when he came back in and there's a big push of like we gotta we gotta give this back to the creatives we gotta let them have more control over it and you know i know nothing about the uh the business side of movie making in that way, except for what everyone else knows from the outside. You know, I'm not, I'm not in it day by day, but uh, when you let creatives take control in that way, the budget's going to explode um, because it, there's no one there to tell them no. And I know that's partly what's happening uh, with these movies. It's with every new movie that comes out, they want to do something, uh, something groundbreaking, you know, in, in, better their technology in some way. You know, we, we watched that for years and years with Pixar where it's okay with every movie, maybe the quality will be different. Maybe uh, you won't like the animation here, but with good dinosaur, you'll walk away thinking that the backgrounds were all real, but no, they were actually created. And it's just, it's that technology we were working on. I feel like Disney's kind of stuck in the same thing where they're, you know, they've, they've got to be investing money in that. Otherwise I don't know where, where these budgets are going to besides maybe taking too long to animate these movies, but also not, you know, you know, they're taking longer, but that requires more money towards salaries and stuff. But at the same time, you shouldn't be rushing the animation. And, you know, I don't want, I don't want Disney to be a story like any other animation company out there talking about the artists being run down and overworked like CG artists. Um, that's, that's not fair. And that's not, again, that's not a way for creativity to, to thrive when you feel like you're under pressure and constantly have to just scrape by to, to get it done. So I don't, I don't know what's happening. And, I don't know. It seems yeah. like they need to focus a little more on storytelling too. 
I I definitely think that's a huge part of it. The stories, while I've enjoyed them for the most part, I've not there's not been a single movie that I'm like, this felt like a story that needed to be told. And I'll 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 go back to on the Pixar side of it, I'll I'll go all the way back to to Soul with it. And heck, I might even go back to like Toy Story Four or Ralph Breaks the Internet, one of those movies where it's I I'm just not sure why they they started like dipping their toes more and more in these kind of offbeat stories that just felt like sequel grabs. But then they started permeating the original ones. And, um, you know, like I for the most part, I found like onward the idea of it that stemmed from the director with uh, with his story of his father passing and bringing that in there and, and tying it in that way. But um you know the the idea for Luca. I, while it's a beautiful, fun movie, I didn't think there was a strong story in there. Um, with Encanto, I again, I don't. I think it's a fun movie, and the music's pretty catchy, and the story might speak to a lot of people. But I, it also feels on the weak side of a story. And you know, turning red. I'm not going to get into that. I think a lot of bad press, um, a bad projection about the the message of the movie kind of sunk into that one and Lightyear um Lightyear was just a basic movie it probably didn't need to be made I had fun with it but it didn't I, I agree and, I don't think it needed to be made Yeah <laughs> kind of the same thing with Strange World I don't know if that's that Strange World made me feel kind of like back in the days of Treasure Planet and and Home on the Range where it's like yeah I, I walked away enjoying it and I'll watch it again but did this need to be made and Elemental was just another take on a Romeo and Juliet story. And it's just, I, I, I think the storytelling, I am sure the people making these movies are very passionate. They should be proud about what they're doing. I, I think they just need to wipe away expectations and Disney needs to fix the Disney plus problem because regardless of what anyone says, we know that's a problem with it. It's mm-hmm. the mentality we already talked about in this episode. Why do I need to go to the theaters to see this? And uh, with, with kids, you know, you can get them to drag people to movies and that's how super Mario becomes a billion dollar movie because, you know, kids get bored and parents need to take kids to stuff. So it's possible they can take them with Disney too. But I mean, Super Mario Brothers ended up on Peacock. So the only way to see that movie is you were going to the theaters or you were going to, you know, buy it when it came out with wish and wish all these other movies, you know, they were destined for Disney plus and Kanto was not hitting it off big. So what it, didn't even last a month before it's on Disney plus. Like when you set those expectations, people are going to follow that and they're just going to wait. They're already subscribing to it. Uh, you know, they're watching bluey in between these movies coming out. So which isn't even made um, by Disney. <laughs> I know, but yeah. it is entertaining. So uh highly recommend bluey to families <laughs> out there, but uh yeah, it's they, it's a multifaceted problem that I don't know. I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Yeah, I, I'm unfortunately afraid they are too. So I do need to. They need to extend the time bef- between theatrical release and release to Disney Plus, and and they yeah. need to make films that people want to see. Like I went and saw a film that was not in. The, it wasn't a Disney film. I went and saw The Holdovers, which is one I do recommend. But um, but the Trolls movie. Um, 
was released that same weekend, there were children everywhere in that lobby, everywhere parents going to. So they will see an animated film if it's entertaining and that they want to see because all those kids are buzzing about the trolls. So um, they were not buzzing about Wish. No, and I mean, it's hard. It's hard, though. How do you buzz about Wish when you know nothing about it? And what, Disney releases two average music kind of videos behind the scenes of Wish? And I'm not, like, knocking them on it. I know that you you don't want to reveal everything. But with Trolls, it's the third Trolls movie now. And the first one had a little bit of heart, but you figured it out right away. Um, Kind of a dumb story filled with celebrities and pop stars singing pop music. Uh, and then take the second movie, repeat the entire process. And the third one, I haven't seen it yet, but I have to assume it's the exact same as the first and second in that. So you know what you're getting walking into it. You know that kids are going to just want to walk away from it singing the soundtrack and buying troll merchandise and dealing with the cuteness of it. It, it's, that stuff is easy. That's why people attract to sequels so much in these days is because once you figure out the format, you can go into every single one of them and know what you're getting. But with Wish, what did people know? And nothing really, nothing. And you know, it's Disney wanted to be so tight lip. Well, when people wish upon stars, where where do those wishes go? Like, okay, mm-hmm. well, we, we got to give people more in this day and age. You're now trailers every trailer every time you talk about a movie every commercial spot that is a pitch to get people into the theater and uh you know trolls singing dancing having fun that's going to get me into a theater more than a trailer for something that's just you're questioning it and then oh the star pops up and this goat's talking now all of a sudden how did all that stuff happen i'll find Mm -hmm. out and wish but it's you know and that yeah. so maybe a marketing fail too. So that's where it could be. We're talking could lots of be. issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking of, of issues, I got my email last week or so about you know I have a Disney. I had a Disney Dream Key. You know they dropped them because yeah. there was a lawsuit. I got my settlement. Guess guess how much I'm getting. I'm just going to be rolling in dough. I'm going to spread it out here in my studio and roll around in it. Just guess how much. Um. Well. I mean, now that you've set up that amount of money, I know I could do that with about like 80 cents. So maybe well, somewhere around there. You're not far off. $67.41. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. That'll, I bet, uh, <laughs> that'll buy me a couple of corn dogs and a yeah. churro. <laughs> and that's about it. I mean, it'll <laughs> barely cover parking. <laughs> you're paying for it out of there. So. so. Anyway, but yep, that's that's what I got. I'm sure the lawyers got a bit more. So I um, have a feeling. I mean, well, lawyers are usually known for not wanting to make any money, just doing good. Oh, yes, in the that's world, right. So. That's right. It's just knowing that they're they're promoting good, all that's good in the world. Yeah, is enough that makes their heart warm. I just um, need to say though, I'm not insulting any lawyers out there. I hope you can uh, represent me one day if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <Yes>. you. <laughs> If you pay them enough, more than $67.41. Yeah. Um, now, di- you heard Disneyland Fantasmics reopening May 24th, 2024, with a new ending. We are not getting our dragon back. Yeah. And that's one of the things that made it special. We had that cool dragon. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to stand up. 
to it, but I don't know what it is. They say it's going to be super duper cool too. But I'm willing to be open to a change because to me, uh, the dragon really was. I'm besides a couple moments here and there. The the dragon connected me back to the the glory days of Fantasmic with with Peter Pan on the Columbia, not Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean. And yes. before the, uh, whatever year that was, 2017, 2019, when they made those changes, um, the dragon always took me back to that time period because that, through the end, still felt like classic Fantasmic. And uh, so with the show being different like it is, you know what? Give me, give me a different dragon now. Uh, it's a shame how it happened and everything that that came from it. But you know what? The show still feels familiar, but slightly off. So why not try something new? Uh, I just feel they're being cheap. Well, we're going to get some sort of a projection or something. I don't know. So I, anyway, oh, there we write the ending that there's no dragon at all. So the real, the real terror was Bob Chapek all along. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think He'll we rise. give I don't think we give Bob Iger enough credit for the situation this company's in, but I have talked about that previously. I anyway. I mean, I I feel like people are finally starting to catch up on that now and it's making me happy cuz I never I don't I know these people I felt like Bob Chapek got a lot of crap for stuff that wasn't necessarily his fault. But thinking about how a business should run, um, I I was very early in our company on questioning motives behind Josh Demaro and Bob Iger once he returned. And I feel like I feel like people have finally saw it, too. And it's like, you know what? It's. We're not living in a day and age where there's someone watching out for this company. And maybe they did under the first time of Bob Iger's role, but um, I, it, someone's going to have to come in from outside. I don't think there's anyone I, internal. I'm right starting now. to agree with you. Yeah. I don't think Josh Tomorrow's the person. He reminds me too much of our governor. Gets by yeah. on looks and charm and a yeah. nice smile, and he yeah. knows your and, name. And that's all like, it takes for people to like him. Yeah. And it's hard to do what we, you know, would suggest, but I I think the road is going back to the routes, uh old old roots that, you know, we kind of talked about with, with this episode and looking towards the past at what was successful and repeating it. And, you know, Disney fans have been saying, like, why not try out the old method of having a creative be the CEO of the company and have another person be the cfo who's also mm-hmm. wants to be hands-on and have that power balance of of the two disney brothers or frank wells and michael eisner why not mm-hmm. try that again we don't need a one-man band of a bob Iger anymore go back to go back to a formula that worked and and give it a shot worst case scenario find someone else <laughs> yeah i agree i agree so I know you are a Lego fan, and I saw over the weekend there is a new Lego kit. Have you seen the Walt Disney tribute camera? Oh yeah, yeah, I have that. Uh, it's I think it's right behind me, actually, right oh, now. You have it? Oh, I only <laughs> just came across it. So is it as cool as it looks in the ads I've seen? Yes, um, I haven't built it yet, but uh, I've uh, opened the box and and looked at it. It looks it looks really cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I might have to add that to my list. Yeah. 
All righty. So I know you're my Lego expert, so I had to had to ask you. Yeah, it's it's been available. It's actually been available for a while, but I they sold out so fast, and it was out of stock for so long. Um, they they really started promoting it over the holiday weekend, which okay. I I think everyone should get this set if they're a Disney fan. So they I haven't been a huge fan of all the ones released over the Disney 100 period, but um it. The tribute camera. I mean, you have your own little Walt uh, minifigure. Like I saw how that. Could you not. I I think that's why people are buying it just to get that figure. So yeah, it's. Uh, I can't. Hopefully, I'll have time over Christmas that I can build that one. Yeah, you and Rory can do it together. <laughs> He'll just swallow the pieces and uh, <laughs> then we pay for the hospital. <laughs> the Lego set that keeps on giving. Or you can build it and he'll just knock it down <laughs> after you're done. That, that's more likely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, like like Craig said, we, we gave you a big, extra, huge episode because this is our final episode of Connecting with Walt for 2023. Um, we were taking our December hiatus. So um, we will see you out and about. Like I'll be at Disneyland December 1st through the 4th. I'll be at the Walt Disney Family Museum. So if you're ever around those places you look me up and say hello craig is always in the parks so i'm sure you'll see him be bopping around so um so craig do you have any special plans for the holiday season uh no just uh you know try to enjoy it as much as possible celebrate with family friends uh good times and uh not eat too much because i've got a couple uh races coming up that i have yeah, to stay in decent exciting. shape for but yeah no i'm i'm uh yeah i'm gonna have i'm gonna have a good holiday season so uh, good what about you any big plans uh, no real big plans besides going um besides going to disneyland on my annual you know holiday trek out there but um no same thing you know decorating the house that takes time and then in the tree and uh and uh, yeah, spending time with family, friends, that kind of thing, cooking. So, uh, so, so that's about it. So, yeah. watching Christmas films, which is always fun. Um, so. As it's going right now, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not even going to get any lights out on my house until after Christmas is over. So, oh. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really failing on that, but I'll catch up. Well, you have to do what I do. Uh, I now hire someone to hang my lights because I have decided I am too old to climb those ladders to the I, second story of the house. So I, I, I do basics, but I have someone else hang the lights. I, I can't do that because I need uh, if there's a single light out, I need to replace it. Like I'm that person now. So, oh, see, I'm um, the same way. So I have to just close my eyes now and ignore it. <laughs> because um, the thing is, but now that I pay somebody to do it, because, you know, I have a two story house. When I hung them myself, I would never have the courage to go to the peaks of the house on the second floor. Now that I pay somebody, he has the courage to do it. So yeah. now I do have the peaks of the house. And um, my feeling is if the lights go out, I tested them. I spent Sunday replacing bulbs. He then replaced some bulbs as he hung them. We had the lights on for like an hour before he left. I figure if they go out, they go out. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I had um, 
Over the years, I'd bought at Lowe's. You know, they sell the Mickey Christmas lights. Those are the crappiest lights ever made. I had probably eight strands. Over the years, now three now work. I don't know why they stop working. It's not fuses, but they just stop working. I'm down to three. And two strands are from the second year they were ever made. The final, from the first year, the final strand gave out. I don't know what happens in the 11 months they're in storage, <laughs> but it just did, it worked when I put it away, didn't work when I took it out. So yeah. I'm down the three strands and I, when those go out, they're out. I'm done with Disney lights because they don't make the real big long strands anymore for outdoors. Yeah. So, um, um, I, uh, anyway. I feel the same way about my tree. It's working beautifully, looks beautiful when we uh, put it away in storage. And then I pull it out and the there will be an entire strand of bulbs that are all burnt out and all blacked out. And I'm like, how did this happen? It wasn't plugged into anything. Did, that, did lightning yeah. strike the tree inside my garage? <laughs> I had that problem last year because I have a tree where the lights are built in. And I took it out, put it up, and realized there's a whole section of lights out. How that happened? But I didn't notice it until I hung like half the ornaments. I thought, forget it. It's just I don't care. So then I called where I bought it from uh, a couple weeks ago and said, "Do you do repairs on these?" And they told me, "Yes, just take it to the warehouse." And they and the warehouse is only open eight a.m. to three thirty Monday through Friday. Yeah. So I, I thought, uh... well. I'm going to have to take it in when I have a day off from work, which will be after the Christmas season. So I'm just hoping more lights haven't gone out on it <laughs> when yeah, I put I've, it up. Uh, <laughs> put in about five hours now to replacing bulbs on the tree. And Kylie said, we're throwing away the tree at the end of the year and we will buy a new one next year, but we will never get a pre-lit tree ever again because I just obsess way too long over fixing every single bulb rather than just replacing an entire strand (laughs) see i have another tree where it is the strands i didn't get i wouldn't get a pre-lit that one is just the pain in the butt the lights go out all the time on it It, they go out after the tree's decorated i've had less problems with my pre-lit tree wow (laughs) so um anyway we'll see (laughs) <laughs> no buy it buy it after um right after christmas when all the sales are going on exactly exactly that's what i did with the pre-lit tree so. smart actually both of our trees one was just a it was a, it was the one on the it was the demo tree and we got a really good deal on that one so anyway all righty that's it you've heard the stories of the trees now <laughs> so um so we wish you a very happy holiday season and we we know everybody joins in in hoping for peace on earth and goodwill to all. And look for us on January 12th when we return with a new episode of Connecting with Walt. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can uh, find me on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook at Teleclaster. And uh, you can find me on the different shows on the Dis Unlimited podcast network. You can email me, Craig, at DisneyInfo.com. And that's about it. What about you, Michael? Well, until next time, you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. You can send me messages at Michael Bowling at DisneyInfo.com. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connecting walt 
If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our episode description. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney and his brother Roy. <laughs>